By the way, sorry to France for all of our pronunciations. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of Sincast is brought to you by MUBI, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. Each day, MUBI introduces a new gem and you have one month to watch it. From cult classics to acclaimed masterpieces, every film is hand-selected by experts. Try MUBI free for 30 days at MUBI.com slash CinemaSins. That's MUBI.com slash CinemaSins for your extended free trial. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello and hello. Mm. Yes. Mm, that's double hello. Yeah. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, you bastard. That's right. And, what up uh, to you? We'll be, we're, we're sort of back to our old ways after that best of 2017. <laughs> you like that? Back to our old <laughs> ways. Our old ways. <laughs> I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! So, does anybody want to start us off on a rant? Actually, I'm going to start us off on a rant. <laughs> because I, I, I think that you two are going to come up with stuff that's like, uh, like way better. And I'd rather... <laughs> I'd rather just go ahead and, and uh, um, do mine. Um... I don't know how many people see these uh, Coca-Cola ads where they get some fresh filmmakers from USC or UCLA <laughs> or whatever to shoot to to shoot this Coca-Cola ad, basically what it is. But it's 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 on front of uh, almost every movie. I don't know if it's if it's just Regal or if it's AMC as well. I think I've seen them at both. And uh, and so like. So, like, there was one that was playing a few months ago where it's like a robot on a standee yep. goes in and enjoys a drink and a popcorn, and everybody's, like, sitting there going, yep, well, that's just your everyday robot <laughs> sitting there enjoying the show. He was at the standee and not life. He wasn't had no life before, but now he's in here. Um, and, yeah, there are always these magical, whimsical types of things. The one that's playing now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. His uh, face is so awesome. I can't wait. I can. I have. N- <laughs> is it possible? Is it possible not to stand something more than this fucking thing? I don't. I don't mean to like go out and demean the people who shot it and did it. All that. They have. They have a certain amount of limitations, sure. and I understand that. It's it, they always have this preamble though, like "Hey, we're blah 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 from USC and UCLA. Here's our film." Yeah. And I'm like, first off, don't call it a film, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a film. It's a Coca-Cola ad. They gave you money and they said, "Shoot something." We don't give a fuck as long as it's Coca-Cola in it. And the one that they're playing now is like the typical bullshit where somebody goes and sits down in a in a movie. And the guy in the movie 
is aware of the people in the audience and like he's so it's like this uh like this guy's like sitting there like oh no it's uh, he's got gotta hit the keys on the keyboard and save the world right. and everything and he like goes over and steals this guy's coke right in the front row <laughs> yeah. and 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 drinks it and puts it back and whatever and then there's like this whole like uh he saves the world and then he gives him gives the dude in the front row like this sort of like i want to fuck you look <laughs> <laughs> It looks like he he's like so you and me right we're we're in this thing together forever and 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 he's and and but apparently the dude in the front row instinctively knows oh he wants my pop right and I'm like I would I would not have known that I would not have I would have been like whoa what are you looking at we went to a different place here yeah exactly and you know and there's like that whole like oh whimsical like okay I guess I'll give you the popcorn and and like. Okay, so what? Where where are we at on this? All right, <laughs> <laughs> what is the point? Yeah, exactly. Why can't you? I mean, I think Coke is doing it under the guise of like giving young filmmakers a shot. Mm -hmm. But like you said, the limitations on these things make it an ad, and mm -hmm. it's usually thirty seconds, maybe sixty. Mm -hmm. There was that one, like the the least harm harmful one is the most annoying to me, and it's the the, the couple on the date where uh -huh. the yeah. boy thinks the girl is lusting after the popcorn kid, but she's just left lusting after the Coke. Mm -hmm. right. As soon as she gets the Coke, she starts kind of flirting with him again. <laughs> and I don't even understand what, what just went down. No. Yeah. Um, but I would rather see a regular Coke commercial. Fuck, I would rather see a Coke logo on screen for two straight minutes. Yeah. yeah. Then listen, <laughs> the, watch one of these things and have it be called a film. Yeah. And I don't even know, again, I don't want to demean the filmmakers. Mm -hmm. If I was at USC or wherever the fuck they're finding these people, and I got a chance, and I made an ad for Coke, and it was going to run in thousands of theaters, I would be geeked. I yeah. would be telling my yeah. parents, hey, that's my work. This is my shot. I'm, my face is on screen. But... <sighs> Fuck, fuck this shit. Yeah, it, it's it's a waste of time. That's the thing. It's just uh, such a waste of time when I'm going to see a movie that this is a glorified Coke ad and they've got these, you know, these young filmmakers or whatever. I've been seeing these for years, by the way. Yeah. These aren't new. These have been go these have been around probably since I was in my first movie theater. I can't remember them all, but I know I've seen like a ton of these. And uh, and maybe they had it where it was they were doing it for a while, then they stopped and then yeah. they came back whatever but he, ultimately they 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 just take the momentum of you watching a movie out of you yeah. like it that yeah, there's sometimes something I'll put about it to the trailers yeah 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 where, exactly. like you're, you're ready you're you make that transition mentally from the trailers where you almost forget what movie that you're here to see because you're, you're kind of just attending to that mm -hmm. and then when that goes off the lights get a little dimmer you're like okay i'm ready to watch call me by your name <laughs> 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 there's a goddamn coke ad right, right. in front of it yeah that, you know and, and I, I understand like if you if you showed this to your friends and family they'd be like oh that's that's cute blah yeah. blah blah but like for millions of people ready to watch you know all these uh, watch their movie and everything it just uh well and let's be honest who what what producer out there is gonna go you made one of those little coke films wow. yeah i'll hire you right look that's not gonna be good on your resume in fact <laughs> i mean i'm i'm sure that if we went back and and were able to look at the history of coca-cola films that have <laughs> happened before movies and everything there might be somebody who like oh he actually turned into something or whatever but most of them i don't I don't think we've ever heard of from them. Steven again. Soderbergh got his right. Break yeah, exactly. Yeah. This 1986 feature, <laughs> you know, um, so 
that's that's my rant. You guys go on 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 your better rants. No, that's a that's a great rant. I think actually, I'm not pr- very proud of my rants either. <laughs> One of them I wanted to rant about was Movie Pass. Uh-huh. We talked about that last week with Dicer, and I kind of gave my opinion on Movie Pass. It's not sustainable. But my wife has a friend who's using it. Uh-huh. And keeps trying to talk her into signing up for it. I'm like, sign up for it if you want. But in six, 12 months, it's not going to work. Yeah, and you're on the hook, too, on, on that service, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm going to rant. Um, I'm going to try and deconstruct the jump scare for a moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because there are, there are, there's more than one thing about a jump scare that's annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's annoying that you're using a crutch, but it's even more annoying how tricky they get with this shit because I'm, I'm flipping channels yesterday the day before and like i usually do if i see a title on one of the movie channels that i have not ever ever heard of i'll go look at the description see who's in it when was it made what's it about so i see this movie called totem it's a fairly recent horror movie i think it was 2016 when it came out i don't know anybody in it never heard about it something about a ghost in a house with a necklace um <laughs> that totem boy and so he'll be here forever <laughs> i have to watch a little bit before I can tell if it if it's like what I like, like a wrong turn sequel, <laughs> or if it's what I don't like, like The Exorcist, um, <clears throat> I end up watching all this movie. It's not very good. I'm not recommending it. <laughs> but there's a teenage girl who's kind of the, the center of this story. And at one point, she goes downstairs because she hears a noise. She's creeping into the living room, and a cat runs by. Uh-huh. Now, first of all, cat is the very laziest jump scare mechanism mm-hmm. you can choose <laughs> in this state. That's yep. been done 50 million times. Yep. But accompanying this cat running across the floor in front of her was a noise that sounded like someone dropped a piano. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly how a cat sounds. To accompany, like, it's almost like they abandon all audio logic, and now they're, they're just using the audio to scare you. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. visual doesn't even have to match the audio as long as you've been frightened. Mm-hmm. As long as, like... She didn't even have to see anything. She could have just walked into the living room and you could have dropped the piano and I would have jumped. Right. Right. I didn't even need to see the cat. Yeah. Because the, the sound is startling. Uh-huh. That's a cheat. Yeah. Yeah. You fucking cheaters. Yeah. Well, and and remember, everything uh, comes back to Friday the 13th part two. Um, <laughs> yep, as it, it should. Uh, they do every cliche possible they, within the first like 10 minutes. They do. I, I know that you talked about the uh, that perspective where, you know, the you know, the killer is supposedly out there and then they're not really. So yeah. what's the point and all that? In Friday the 13th part two, there's that there's that part where the. The girl from the first movie, the survivor girl from the first movie, is walking around this house, and like she goes in the kitchen, and this cat comes through an open window, yeah. <laughs> like ju- like you just think about the parabolic jump that he would have to do from outside. It's like it's like you know, just, you know <laughs> and and what's the point? Even what? Why is the cat so frightened? Is Jason out there? Even if Jason was out there, would he jump like that through an open? W- and why do you have an open window? Yeah. Now we're sending this movie all over again. Um, but it's it's that yeah. Most of the time, a lot of the the thing that you're getting at is that they don't make sense. You know, they they don't make sense that you know cats would act that way or whatever and you're right it is lazy it's just one of those things but yeah most of the time those cats like get scared type of things they're running away and not meowing or anything they're just like i guess i guess filmmakers are relying on that because even the best of them like i recently saw mother Mm -hmm. uh and darren aronofsky puts jump scares in that like there'll be this long bit of silence and she'll turn around and 
and it's Ed Harris's face or something mm-hmm. like that or Harvey Bardem. And again, there should be no noise accompanying this at right. all. Right. There's bare, there's no score playing. It's just like silence and then oh! Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't make any sense. In it, I mentioned uh, on the last podcast about there's that shot of the lady in the background that is, oh, yeah. is, is staring and smiling at him. That is the creepiest thing in that movie. Mm-hmm. Not all the fucking jump scares that happen over and over and over again in an otherwise really, really good movie. You don't need it. You don't need the emphasis on the sound. You don't need the sudden cutaway or anything like that. Right. You can get creep and it's more effective if you put it more subtly in well, there. I'm not even saying you can't use audio or score to accentuate a scary moment. Because mm-hmm. I think even Spielberg does that in Jaws when he finds that dead body underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's there's kind of like an orchestra hit there. Yeah. Um, and like The Dark Knight has one of the most excusable jump scares ever because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't cheat by having this creepy, ominous feeling right before it. It's just a, a meeting between the mayor and the DA, and the mayor walks over towards a window, and sudden body hits the, well, the, the window. And that's the sound. Work. The noise is the body hitting. It's not like well, this. Well, there is score there, too. Um, we, we do get kind of a little oh, kind yeah. of a hit there, but that, fuck, that fucks me up every time, because <laughs> I always forget it's coming, because the movie's not trying to to telegraph right. a scary moment is coming it's just out of left field yeah, and that's yeah. where it works right you know where you're where they don't set it up yeah. they don't set the thing up and you and it just happens and that's a good jump scare and 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 uh i i felt like i think we took a sin off in the ring for the uh, brian cox sort of jump oh, yeah. scare that happens in that because while you're kind of expecting something to happen it's not like anything that seems imminent mm-hmm and you know she's just sitting there watching that tape and then just the the it's a just a casual edit and you see him in the background yeah and everything it's really scary um sinister has one of those too or the i mean it has a lot of jump scares but uh sinister has that one keep in mind he's watching he's watching eight millimeter film that's has no sound on it mm. so like the one of the biggest jump scares in the entire movie is when he uh he sees the the one with the families in the house and then like he then it, then they're all tied up in the yard mm. and there's a lawnmower and so like it, well actually you don't know that they're out there you just see the lawnmowers just going across the grass yeah and then like as it goes up on one of the people tied up on the lawn you can hear like all sorts of shit that you would never hear like just or <laughs> or at least they put the musical score this to, to sort of like suggest a lawnmower sound or uh-huh. like something like that where it's you know it's definitely not there uh it would i almost i'd almost wager that it'd be scarier without the the noise mm-hmm. because if you're just sitting it's like just nothing there and then suddenly right you know there's yeah. a it's mowing somebody's face yeah. then you know <laughs> uh yeah i agree all right well give us your rant all right, so I was going to talk about Star Wars, and at some point we we need to talk about Star okay. Wars. We do because um, there's too many. <laughs> we need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, something that was bothering me before I saw the movie, during the movie, and still bothering me after I saw the movie is "Call Me by Your Name." Um, the fact that we're still, even in this day and age, we're still not talking about the fact that this kid is 17 years old. Now, the mitigating factors, age of consent is different in Europe. He's presented as being a mature 17-year-old some of the way in the movie. Mm -hmm. And in the book, the Army Hammer character is supposed to be 24. Now, in the movie, they don't state his age. Mm -hmm. Army Hammer is 31 years old. The way that Timothy Chalamet plays this character, 
is at times very childlike. Um, and it's bothersome to me. It's mm-hmm. still bothersome to me. And I, I thought about it in a couple of different ways. Switch either of these characters to a woman or a girl. What would we be saying about this, especially in this day and age? Mm. Um, I know 17 and 18 aren't all that different. But again, the way that they present this guy, you know, when it, it's a silly example, but I'll use it here. When he fucks that peach, yeah, he he falls apart. When when Army Hammer comes in and is like, "What did you do?" Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to watch this movie. <laughs> but he he turns into like this blithering mess. Mm-hmm. He's like, "I'm fucked up" mm-hmm. because he's full of all these hormones and all this stuff where you. You legitimately say, I'm going to fuck this peach. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is almost to where he's not mature enough to be able to handle something like this. Mm -hmm. And I just, there's a creep factor to this that I don't think has been addressed in any of the reviews. I've read millions of reviews of this movie trying to see if there's any sort of, at least like pump the brakes a little bit and let's talk about this. The movie's great. It's got some great content, got some great uh, acting performances. But there's a little something here. How old is Mariel Hemingway in Manhattan? She is 15, I believe. Oh, so. Yeah, okay. Jesus. Uh, she might be 17. I think she's a little older She than might that. be 17 because she's going off to like musical high school at the end. Yeah, that's another movie that maybe it doesn't. I think it does get a pass, though, a lot of times. I it think does. It, I think it. I think. I don't know. There's there must be an acceptable threshold for some people as far as age is concerned. Like seventeen is is still there. Like seventeen still like the age where you can go see R rated movies legally. She and, was sixteen. Her character I think was around the same age. Okay. So so I mean, I think over the over the years and because Woody Allen is it has so much controversy around his name at this point, people do go back and look at stuff like Manhattan and say, That's creepy. Yep. But back in nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine, I don't know if people were really calling attention to that. Mm-mm. You know? And mm. and it's sort of uh, you know, sort of nobody really talks about that either. Um I don't know. Is there a certain age where like people kind of go, yeah, underage, but you know, in this movie, and again, he could be a mature seventeen-year-old, and I guess relative to his peers, he kind of is. But he's a virgin mm-hmm. in in this uh, movie, I believe. Uh, I know that the girl he gets with is is a virgin at the time, so it's like, is the peachy fucks a virgin? Yes, mm-hmm. definitely virginal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he. he pushes the pit out um but yeah no the way that he plays this character is not as mature as what you would say like you know i don't know i I don't know an example of like a super mature 17 year old Mm. well all i'm saying is that if i were 17 i didn't know i had my shit together at 17 i Um, think a lot of this is i mean my wife would have a lot to say about this mm because she studied cultural anthropology and i think a lot of this is just the culture that we live in all three of us grew up in fairly conservative middle american you know 80s homes mm-hmm. where you know we think 17 is a little too immature for a relationship with a 24 year old but 200 years ago nobody in america did because they would marry their daughters off at 12 yeah and that would never be done today because of where we are as a culture but even see i think age of consent is just it's it's just murky you have yeah, to pick an age mm-hmm. you have to um, but where you 
put that number is completely arbitrary to me because, like you said, you know, there 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 are kids in jail who were 19 and had sex with a 16 year old. That mm-hmm. doesn't seem right. Um, but at some point, you have to draw a line. Yeah. We have to pick where that line is. Now, hundreds of years ago, we had that line in a different place. Today, we have it here. But in Europe, it's in different places. I guess so. But to, the counterpoint to what I said about how Timothy Chalamet plays is that Army Hammer is playing a self-realized, mature man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's at the point where he's confident enough to like talk smack to the professor and stuff like that mm-hmm. and seduce this child, essentially, um, even though he's right on that, that, that line. And so the way that these roles are played, I think it's it's so diametrically opposed that it's it's uncomfortable. Is the author American or European? I don't know. If, a, if an American author wrote this story, mm-hmm. they 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 made that person seventeen on purpose to because they wanted to address that ickiness. There's right. also uh, the parental consent issue in this movie too. Is is that the parents seem to be okay with it? Which uh, that is something that I've. I don't know. I don't. I'm not like Michael Bay and knows know all the <laughs> statutory laws like he does. But, um, but like uh, that's something that I've heard uh, so many and like because I I I knew girls when they were 16 and 17 who said the oldest boyfriend they've ever had is like 27 and mm-hmm. 28. Yeah. So this this happens. Yeah. You know. So I mean, and and it's and it's always been well. If the parents say it's okay, then there's not much. There's not much there. As far as, and they and those parents are pretty permissive in yeah yeah oh, call me by very. your name so you have that issue too and I understand that you know that the you know it's it you know we we look at this and go whoa that's kind of like that's pushing it you know and everything but there's also that factor there is and it, I'm, I'm what I think though is that if the younger character in this book um, was played by a girl. I think we would be having a lot more to say. It'll be a little bit different than this. Yeah. And or if the Elio character was being seduced by an older woman, probably would have a little something to say about that too. But it's, uh, I mean, we 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 talked about stuff like Lolita in the past and mm-hmm. all that. I mean, they, these are controversial, but for the most part, there's it's hey, this is kind of stuff that happens, and mm. this is the story, and you know, yeah, yeah. There you go. I don't know, it's just one of those things. My wife actually has a big problem with it too, and she's not going to see the movie because of it. Hmm. Um, that's that that's a disqualifier for it, and I understand that. Not saying it's not a great movie; it is a really, really good movie. That's just a part that still sticks with me. Yeah. And uh, James Ivory wrote it. He is American. He's well. A, he wrote he's the a, screenplay. Didn't he write the book? Nope. No, Nicholas Sparks wrote the book. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Andre Akiman or Asiman. Oh yeah. Okay. So if the author's European, then he's from Italy. Yeah. So th- then maybe there's not an intention there by making the because maybe in Italy, seventeen is the age of consent. Nobody blinks twice at it. Right. But I think part of our reaction, part of your reaction, is is our Americanness, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the rest of the world is a little more free with, with sex mm-hmm. than we are. <laughs> I'm cool that with is free sex, true. man. That is very true. I am a-okay with free sex. I was watching people <laughs> humping all fucking day long yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was for work. <laughs> yes, it was. That's what kind of job we have here. I swear, when I first bought the first Fifty Shades movie for us to send it, I, I had Fifty Shades and some other blockbuster, and I was like, it's for work. <laughs> that's the cashier. Man, that's the thing about buying stuff uh, at Best Buy or any any place that you go. And you buy like you know, I go in and buy just about everything. Um, and and so like, 
you every once in a while somebody has to make a comment and you're like <sighs> yeah like i bought i had to buy all the transformers before we did the transformers and uh and uh and and it was i think it was at walmart and i put all these transformers down on the counter and the guy's like oh man those last couple were really good weren't they <laughs> and i was like oh, man. i was like yeah was he being I, sarcastic no oh my god he was not i was kind of like i was kind of like a guy in office space who's like uh you know i kind of like them all you know <laughs> with the michael bolton's on yeah and uh and like uh and then once I, I and I went in and bought Baywatch one day, <laughs> and they and this one guy, he, he, and Best Buy always has that one guy who um they hire to like check your bag and receipt yeah. and all that, and he's like, man, that Baywatch wasn't very good. <laughs> Looking at me, I was like, I was like, yeah, I I buy everything. Yeah. <laughs> he's judging you. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Well, pretty much judging. He's me. judging you after you've made your purchase. Yeah, exactly. Like, Seriously, you really well, fucked up, man. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Well, the other thing that's weird is I buy a lot of stuff I've not seen. So people are like, "Oh, I heard this is good," and I'm like, eh, "I haven't seen it." And I'm sure in their head they're like, "Why are you buying?" Yeah, it? yeah. Well, what's funny is I worked with we worked both worked with a assistant manager at Hollywood who this was 20 years ago mm -hmm. who would buy everything mm -hmm. every tuesday when new dvds came out he would go he whether he'd seen it or not he was obsessed with buying everything mm -hmm. um and that was well before youtube and CinemaSins and like we have at least a decent excuse yeah but he did not it always troubled me because he would come he would even sometimes take a break at work and go down to media play and uh -huh. come back and show me all these blu-rays i'm like why the fuck did you buy the wedding planner like <laughs> why would you why gotta do you flesh out his w's own that? <laughs> well part of it too is also that story that kevin smith told when we were out there in la and watching that show yeah. the improv that he does and he was talking about that guy who was the big champion of mall rats and everything yeah. who had just recently died and i'm sorry i can't remember the name right now but uh he said that he would hang out with that guy and he would go in and this guy would just clean out all the laser discs <laughs> in this one store and everything and he goes why why would you buy all this and he's like hey man this this industry has given me a lot and i'm i'm sort of go, giving back to the industry huh. and now that's sort of way i feel about it is hmm. i'm going and i'm buying even stuff that i know for a fact we're never going to send yeah I buy it just to have it have it there because it might be a movie that I want to see sometime. Maybe it, yeah. maybe maybe we will send it someday. Who knows? But <laughs> there is a lot of wrapped copies in yes, Chris's there is. collection. Like yes, there uh, is. what's eating Gilbert Grape? Oh yeah, what's eating Gilbert Grape? <laughs> you know what? Sorry, Frank, I don't have that one. <laughs> How did that become a thing? By the way, I don't know, but he he clearly knows it's never going to happen, and he's just having his fun. Do a bonus video. Well, you know, it. maybe they'll make a sequel to it. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, oh, my God. That <laughs> uh, would be. Uh, I'm not saying it. <laughs> uh, okay, oh, you yeah. want to get to some news? Let's get to some news. News on the mark. I'll actually throw one out there because it was originally going to be my rant. Now there's another Star Wars trilogy, not the trilogy that has not yet started. Mm -hmm. There's another. Uh, story, not the one we're in the middle of. Not not the solo story. Not the other stuff. The 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 prequel stuff. Not the Obi Wan movie. It's a whole new thing with uh, David Benioff and DB uh, Weiss from uh, Game of Thrones. They're writing a whole different thing that takes place in the Star and Wars. And from my what I understand, not directing it. Right. Right. More like show running it in terms of like overseeing the story, but 
I don't even think they direct a lot of Game of Thrones episodes. Yeah, they, no, they direct a decent amount. Okay. Like it's it's not. Yeah, I mean they have a team like any TV show does, uh, where you have their you have your usual star directors that are in there that that do a lot. But they they are a part of that. It's not like a lot. Okay, but they do do a lot All of right. directing. Well, this should be good news because I love Star Wars and I love Game of Thrones and I love the the writing for these guys. But I think with Solo coming out, with the uh, the new trilogy wrapping up in a couple years, with the new Ryan Johnson trilogy that's coming out, I think we may be getting a live action TV show, an oversaturation. Well, yes, point. we are, and that's why, that's why I tweeted what I did about you know how how many Star Wars movies in development now? Too many. <laughs> yeah. Um, it. I think we're already there. Um, now I didn't enjoy Last Jedi as much as you guys. I still enjoyed it, but I don't. I have like. You can barely see the amount of hype I feel for the next one. For episode, the ne- episode, episode nine. nine. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really care. I'll see it. Mm-hmm. But unlike the Force Awakens, where I was geeked out and rented out a whole goddamn theater and invited all my friends, <laughs> and I had to take a Xanax, I was so anxious to watch that movie. I had none, none of that with Last Jedi. There was none of that anticipation, uh, and and you know the experience I had there. It's gonna gonna feel the same and now you're the, the problem is from what i understand ryan johnson's gonna go far off into the other end of the galaxy and deal with characters we've never heard of mm-hmm. which i can get down with that's fine i suppose maybe maybe the problem with these current the current trilogy is that it is too tied to the past and not allowed to be free and new enough mm-hmm. um but i mean oversaturation is not a subjective thing right right, right. Uh, there are studies out there we watched it happen with movie theaters when they built too many, you know, huge 30 screen theaters and, you know, eventually caught up to them. And they mm-hmm. lots of theaters went under. Lots of them got bought. Regal got bought. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't like the response to me saying it's oversaturation being, no, it isn't. <laughs> you you simply want more Star Wars than I do. Right. And you're not burnt out yet. But. And you know, again, it's. I think it's going to happen with Marvel too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically get three Marvel movies a year at this point. I could give a rat's ass what happens in Infinity War. Yeah. I could care less. <laughs> now it may be badass. I may watch it and go, "Holy shit, it's the best thing ever!" I may watch Black Panther and go, "Jesus, I felt something." Yeah. Um, but in everything I've seen, what now? Eighteen films, MCU films. Is, I, <laughs> You know, it's hard for me to get it up anymore because you're throwing so many at me. And the same is going to happen with Star Wars. I'm also concerned because the last few seasons of Game of Thrones have shown that these guys are better at moments than they are logic. Mm. And they've completely thrown time and travel out the window in the last two seasons of Game of Thrones just to put the pieces on the board where they need them for the big moments. Mm-hmm. Um and I hope they don't play fast and loose like that. I think it'll be Star a Wars. completely different thing, situation, though, because Game of Thrones, they're just they're trying to wrap it up. That's, That's true. The thing about that is that they've basically said, well, this is how many seasons we have and we got to get all this story done. Um, I really I don't understand that, by the way. Why couldn't they have just extended it more and yeah. had 10 seasons and just said and they're they already off script? Yeah. So I, I never understood that. But um, uh, I do also like the idea that they're going to be running it more like sort of like how Lucas did and everything. A lot of people uh, put a lot of stock in who's directing these movies. And, you know, you don't really 
it takes me some thought every time to realize that Irvin Kershner did Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. <laughs> and it took me and, and it takes even more thought to go, oh, Richard Marquand. Oh yeah, Richard Marquand <laughs> did Return of the Jedi. Do we do we really even think those guys were in charge of that? It's really kind of like Lucas sort of like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, Vince Gilligan on Breaking Bad yeah. and all these people who were who were showrunners. That's what happens. Um so I, I'll be interested to see it. Um, I, I do agree that I think that it's, it is oversaturated. It's, it's kind of annoying that every time you turn around, there's a new one of these coming mm-hmm. around. It, 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 it ruins the specialness of everything. Right. Uh, this solo movie is coming five months after last Jedi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's going to get, oh man, this thing's going to get crushed. I think. Oh, you think? I think so. Um, first off, what's what's amazing is Deadpool two was in June at one point. Now it's May eighteenth, and it's coming out a week before Star Wars. Oh, and I'm wondering if that might actually help Star Wars. I wonder if Deadpool they decided to go. I'm wondering if there's some Disney Fox negotiations going on here, since now Disney owns half of Fox right. or whatever. Like, could you could you maybe come out with that before so that you don't destroy all of our momentum yeah. when when you come out the week after? It's kind of an interesting thing. They decided to come out with it a week before before Solo now. I also think people are less interested in a young Han Solo movie than any other proposed film they're making. Mm-hmm. I think more people want to see Ewan McGregor as young Obi-Wan again mm-hmm. than want to see young Han Solo. And the trailer does nothing for me. No. Uh, tonally, it feels all over the place, and that guy, this, this should not matter that much, but he looks nothing like Harrison Ford. Nope. Uh, even if he gets the voice down perfect. Um, Which it doesn't sound like from the trailer. It doesn't sound like. <laughs> now, you know, Donald Glover looks awesome as Lando. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody doubted he would be pretty good in that, but I, I think you're right. I think this is going to underperform, especially after the way The Last Jedi, quote-unquote, underperformed in terms mm. of expectations. Did you guys see that, uh, that guy who... Uh, did a childish Gambino music video to that? No, um, no. To, to to he cut up all the stuff with uh, with Donald Glover as uh, Lando in there. He sounds exactly like childish Gambino. He sounds exactly like the really? rap sounds exactly like the lyrics, the wordplay, everything. Huh. I I wish I knew the name, but yeah, I bet you can just put in you know childish Gambino Star Wars or whatever. Uh-huh and find this thing it's it's really fun like if you awesome. if you're no if you know childish gambino yeah. music and everything this guy gets it down perfectly huh. it's it's uncanny and it's really well done like the wordplay is amazing nice sounds awesome so it's like the uh if i produce kendrick lamar yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all right drop the beat all, all right. right i have two news items i want to talk about all right and one is a rant and one is not okay first let's talk about quentin tarantino Mm-hmm. Specifically, the Zuma Thurman interview came that came out, mm-hmm. and then his response interview with Deadline. De- Deadline. Mm-hmm. What a fucking prick! <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he asked her to drive this car that was not reliable. Mm-hmm. She definitely crashed. No one disputes that. She fucked up her body. I want to specifically talk about the spitting stuff. Yeah, um, because Tarantino tries very brazenly to defend that by saying somebody getting spit on the face. What's the fucking problem with that? Right. Like he's trying to put the interviewer on the defensive by suggesting this is okay. This is not only okay. You're an idiot for asking. Yeah. And I hereby submit 
that in the name of realism, no one should ever have to spit on somebody's face in a movie. Mm. I, I would go so far as to say the special effects and makeup people could probably make more realistic looking spit than your mouth can. Yeah, that but was Tarantino one of says it, it, it needed to be real yeah. he, to the point where he doesn't trust Michael Madsen to right. do the spitting. <laughs> I have to do it myself to make sure it's right. Mm-hmm. So if you're making a movie where people are fucking, do you have to fuck the girl That's in the name of point. realism? Mm-hmm. Do you have to take the actor out and then use non-simulated real sex with your own director penis because you don't wow. trust Michael Madsen's penis? That that gimp scene in Pulp Fiction is a lot worse now <laughs> that I think about it. I'm just saying <clears throat> there is a line. My second news item is going to be about Tom Cruise and the helicopter stunt video mm-hmm. I watched yesterday. And in this new Mission Impossible movie, he learned how to fly a fucking helicopter. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. And... In the name of realism, right? But that is everyone's consensual. We're not crossing any bodily fluid lines or Mm -hmm. nudity lines. And he's taking his life in his own hands. But for even the way Tarantino spells out how this all went down, he describes it as as two different shots. A close-up of Madsen spitting, a close-up of the spit landing on her face. Mm -hmm. If if you have two characters in profile facing down down each other and one spits on the other one's face, probably you're going to have them actually spit for realism's sake, Mm -hmm. right? But when you specifically are cutting away, you didn't need to do that. Right. And it bothers me that you did it. It's demeaning. It bothers me even more that you defend it. And it bothers me even more that you defend it so nonchalantly. Yeah. What's the fucking problem? Like... I feel like he's lost touch mm-hmm. and it makes me question a lot of things that I've heard and seen. Ah, and uh, I think he's a piece of shit. Yeah, mm. I, I I agree. I don't understand why you would have to do that. I do know that when you have the kind of uh, when you have the kind of mindset that he does, that everything has to be real and everything. I think that's where you start justifying the boundaries that you cross. Yeah, exactly. And and so it. So everything has to be that way. That's one of the things that came out of Sin City when Robert Rodriguez was doing that and Tarantino did that guest thing. It was during the car crash scene yeah. and all that. The uh, the the Tarantino was like, I want to do this with a real car. I don't want any special effects and all that. And Rodriguez is like, you're being silly. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do this easily without it. And and apparently Rodriguez won that argument or whatever because he said, look, there's no difference you right. know, in, in doing this. Uh, but I think that's what happened with, with Tarantino. I don't, I don't know if in the moment he thinks it's wrong. Now that's probably the, the, that's the problem, right? He doesn't know in the moment that this is something that he shouldn't do because this is what has informed his movie career the entire way. Why am I, why should I go against this, this instinct that I have that everything needs to be real and whatever, so it's going to go to this point. I'm going to cross the line here. I'm going to say, yeah, let's have her drive this unsafe car. And there's let's no reason it. for it. Yeah. The shot is from behind her head. Right. Stunt well, person, wig, you're done. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like, why does this keep coming up in the context of what women have to go through? Because his hands are choking Diane Kruger in Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. His, his hands his are, hands are choking yeah, Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. Yeah. So it's like, why does this get... Now, Okay, he's saying that you have to see the veins bulge and you have to see the eyes water and stuff like that. So you have to really be choked. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. But like, why does all of these justifications, why is it in the context of 
stuff that women have to endure for the sake of reality. Well, you and, know? and also it goes against, I think, I think it goes against, he does a lot of things that are against this. Like you're saying, do they have to actually be fucking for them to actually, right. you know, there's other stuff in there. Why is there rap in Django Unchained? Yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> why there's a lot of things I can point out in any movie where you're like, that's not real. Yeah. So why do we, why do we insist when we shoot it, that it has to be real when you're making this completely over dramatized world and everything it, it really you you have gone over a line at some point and maybe maybe you know uh, unconsciously maybe you have some sort of like you know you hate women or something well, maybe I mean? or maybe you've just been told so many times that you're this genius auteur who can do no wrong that you can't help but begin believing it i think that's exactly what's happening yeah and yeah. uh so when i read her story i was pretty horrified when i saw his response i was i was doubled down with the horrification because mm -hmm. he just he, he doesn't seem to want to accept any of the blame right um and that's frustrating to me because it seems clear from at least her side of the story and other witnesses that he, he crossed a couple lines at least on kill bill and probably on most of his films and it just it took all the interest I had in this new movie he's making right right out. Just mm -hmm. put a bad taste in my mouth. And uh I think he's a scumbag. Well, and furthermore, yeah. uh he made uh he made Death Proof right after that, right after Kill Bill. I, yeah, that that's weird to me. That, uh, that's weird on a lot of different levels. Which is is the I mean, the exact thing that Uma Thurman is talking about is being in one of these stunt cars. Right. And then the whole thing about Death Proof, which is a movie I love, uh -huh. but now is gonna have a little bit of a taint to it. Yep. Uh, the whole thing is Kurt Russell getting off on, you know, get, getting like destroying women in these in this car. Mm -hmm. And uh, now you have to think back to her, Uma Thurman, in one of these cars getting in a wreck. And then that sort of just ruining their relationship forever, too. There was a I, I didn't see all this defense on Twitter, but it was funny. I saw the one guy who, who uh, restored sanity to the world. He's like, guys, stop saying that uma thurman is wrong because she did volume two after she did volume one they made this whole movie <laughs> to be a three-hour movie and they split it up into two parts she didn't go and make another movie with him <laughs> right, after that right you know and you know uh, just furthering the stupidity of of people in general all right so real quick my other my other news item uh, tom cruise learning to fly a helicopter <laughs> right and chris is i sent this to barrett and chris yesterday when i saw it. it's like a two and a half three minute video i'll try and get barrett to put it in the description of this podcast um it's behind the scenes basically i did not know he had done this mm -hmm. i knew in in rogue nation he really hung off the side of the plane i knew he had broke his ankle filming this movie mm -hmm. uh which is called fallout and the trailer's amazing mm -hmm. um but he as soon as he stopped filming rogue nation he started taking helicopter lessons mm -hmm. and learned how to fly a helicopter and in this movie, there's a big helicopter chase with multiple helicopters. There's a scene where Cruz's character's helicopter does a death spiral 360 down to the ground. And he's really flying it yep. and operating the camera yep. inside the helicopter. <laughs> and Chris's response was, Scientology aside, I've decided that Tom Cruise is a badass. Yeah, and I was like, that is exactly the right reaction. That is exactly <laughs> how I felt. Like... God, it, you're going to know that when you see that scene. It's going to make it that much. And see, I'm talking about realism that's acceptable. Yeah, exactly. He's I mean, not, he put in the work. He didn't. He didn't become a novice pilot. No, he became like 
not an expert, but like a really, really good helicopter pilot. Well, Two thousand hours, way faster <laughs> yeah. than people. They said are something to do like, it. even to be somewhat competent, you'd have to do what eight hours a day or something like yeah. that to do the stuff that he's doing, which is. Getting in a helicopter that spiral. First off, going through like a canyon. Yeah, I know. It's not like he's just out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm going through this waterfall. I'm like, fuck, fuck. Yeah. yeah. And then having it just it's tailspin on him and everything. But uh, but to do that, you have to. And I can only imagine. Like I bet the flight instructors were tired after after working with him. <laughs> I, I bet. bet they were like like they did a sixteen hour day and then like four hours later he's like, All right, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had my power now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just I I love his commitment to do as much as he can. There is obviously gonna come a point where he's gonna have to stop if he breaks himself too many times. But you know, just like Rogue Nation when that plane scene hit. And I knew in the back of my mind, he really did this. He's mm. strapped in, but he's really on the side of this plane that just took off. It made the scene more intense. Oh, yeah. Motherfucker learned how to hold his breath underwater for over five minutes for mm -hmm. that movie. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was sort of the max. Nope. Yeah. Go learn how to fly a helicopter. What's interesting is that in the trailer uh, for Fallout, I didn't see a thing like the Burj Khalifa or the, the one off the side of the plane like a moment like that in the trailer so i was thinking like what it, there's no way he didn't do something like super realistic here and turns out it was it was learning, learning to, to fly, fly a goddamn helicopter he does that move where he whips around and like faces the other helicopters it's apparently impossible to do the yeah guy, i really just i have i gained so much respect and again it's important to, to state again scientology aside yeah as i have nothing good to say about that right um but to, as an actor uh, as a worker, um, I just I, I could never do that. Mm -hmm. I would never even have one tenth of that much dedication. He's going to be fifty six this year. Yeah. See, <laughs> I mean, crazy. I thought maybe after the broken ankle he would be done. I don't think he's going to stop anytime soon. But he's not going to get to Morgan Freeman's age and still be jumping off buildings and shit. I don't. I don't <laughs> maybe. think. Maybe. I don't think. Maybe he will. Yeah, well, George Bush, the president, like was skydiving in his eighties, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. All right. In so. his nineties. All right. So who knows? Anyway, I was fascinated by that. It blew my mind. And I hope you guys enjoy watching that. Video. Yeah, it's awesome. Again, I don't have a news item that's uh, as good as you guys. But um, but uh, anytime Richard Linkletter decides to do something like kind of experimental and fun, I'm, I, I, I immediately want to see this movie. Uh huh. Uh, so like when I heard about Boyhood while it was getting shot, you know, it was like this it was forever that Richard Linkletter 12 year movie project or whatever on the IMDb. So I heard that about that forever. He's doing one now that is uh, it's apparently set in Houston, 1969, moon landing, all that. Hmm. And he has called on the people of Houston to uh, give him everything that they have from that era. Do they have. Do they have like a film or something that they shot in 1969? Do they have people, do they have like a, you know, people watching the moon landing? Do they have just even the slightest thing? Like they were talking about, I think there's a, like a local TV, uh, local TV show or whatever. He's like, do you have a, a person who was on that? Do you have the tape of that? Huh. You know, hmm. and he's getting everybody in Houston to like send this stuff or people who lived back then to send this stuff to him to make this movie interesting and i'm wondering if it's is it really is it going to be something that he shoots maybe he shoots some things uh -huh. but i'm wondering if the whole thing is going to be like just houston 1969 hour and a half full of just snapshot yeah snapshots and stuff like that 
because that's something that he would do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He would make a movie that has no actors in it and just has nothing but a crowdsourced, you know, thing there. Yeah. And uh, and I, I'm very curious. He's he hasn't he hasn't mentioned obviously what it's about or anything, but. You know, he apparently it says director Richard Langlater needs your Houston area photos, videos from the 1960s for a new movie. Have a home movie from Astro World or the Astrodome or a recording of your little brother with Kitterick, which I think is one of the local TV shows that was on. Mm. Did someone did someone, you know, use a kinescope to record the moon landing? If so, we want to see it in anything else that documents that era. There is no <laughs> wrong material as long as it's from Houston in the 1960s. And we want to see it. Huh. Even, even so, porn. I'm sure porn. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, why not? <laughs> no, man, I'm I'm down. I mean, you think about we had a question that we're we're not answering today about like who do you think are like innovators, you know, people that change the direction of cinema and things like that. And I think Richard Linkletter gets over overlooked because he's done things. Obviously, Boyhood was kind of his crowning achievement, but the dialogue-driven stuff of the before trilogy and mm-hmm. like oh, the rotoscoped know, the, movies. The rotoscope movies. Are, He's are never great. been afraid to be experienced. Even Slacker, his right. first movie, is super mm-hmm. unlike anything else you've ever seen. Yeah, he explores you know these crazy themes in uh, the Scanner Darkly and uh and uh and waking life like he's he's super experimental but his movies and waking life maybe is on the fringe of that but his movies have always been accessible have been able to be entertaining while still being remarkable achievements you know so yeah i'm totally down with this yeah just really interested to see that how that'll turn out. except for bad news beers yeah except for that (laughs) and newton boys (laughs) i didn't have to bring it up this time yeah that's right so you want to talk about movie uh, let's talk about some movie, man. Oh, yeah. I love this service. Yeah. I love this service so much that uh, I would be using it all the time, even if we weren't sponsored by by movie. Right. And I've found some amazing content. I'll tell you one. Okay. So in the description, these descriptions are great, by yeah. the way. Uh, in the description for uh, a movie called In Bed with Victoria. Mm-hmm. Ooh, um, I like it already. It says that while the American tradition of the romantic comedy has waned in recent years, yes, uh, Justine Trier... Mm. Her uh, portrait of a woman at the crossroads in the courtroom in the bedroom proves the beloved genre is alive and well in France. Now, this is an awesome movie. Hmm. It's a romantic comedy that's frequently hilarious, but also like really hits you on a lot of different levels. Hmm. Like I'm kind of getting into French cinema, mm-hmm. and I want I don't want to be that guy that's into French cinema, <laughs> but but I'm, well, I'm kind of getting into French cinema. Uh, one that I watched in the past week uh, was called Bob Le Flambeur, uh-huh. the Bob the Gambler, uh, and it's from Jean Pierre Melville, who yeah, is yeah. sort of the father of uh, French wave. I don't think he's he's ever like uh, thrown into the mix of all the French mm-hmm. new wave uh, directors, but. I think some people call him the father of that and everything. Cause I, and there's something about those movies that were made back then. There's a there's an electricity to it. There's yeah. a there's a sort of a movement that you don't see in the movies that are being made in America in the 50s and everything. In uh in Bob Laflambeur, there's a like a there's a part where so it's, it's your basic heist movie. It's mm-hmm. I love heist movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it's the same story almost every time, and I I fall for it <laughs> every time. I'm like, oh my god! Now this one has a little bit of a has a has a bit of a wrinkle to it, but it, it's it you know, but it's the same type of thing. You know, people they're like, it's, it's we got to rob this thing that's impossible to rob, and then somebody says something that they shouldn't, and then like yeah. you know, and then like you know, then they get found out and all that. But uh, there's a scene in there where he's like drawing the they're they're ro- they're gonna rob a casino. And he's drawing 
the outside of the casino. He's in the car and the camera is just in the back seat while he's sitting there drawing it. And you can see the movement of, you know, the car going around this casino and everything as he's drawing it down. Nice. And there's just some sort of like feeling to it. Yeah. When you watch movies in that era, the French New Wave stuff, that's why people love those so much. There's right. a life to them that's so different from what you see in that era. That movie's great, too, and I need to see the other two that they've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've from, got a triple feature from him. Yeah. Well, this uh, is what I love about the service, and we, we mentioned this last time, is that their, their goal is not the same as most of these streaming services you see out there. Not mm -hmm. a, it's not about quantity. It's not about volume. It's about quality. The selection's actually pretty small. 30 yeah. movies at any given time, and every day one drops off and a new one comes on. But your story shows that it's working exactly as they intended. Yeah, exactly. Right? They yeah, want to yeah. be for movie fans. Mm -hmm. And the three of us consider ourselves movie fans or mm -hmm. cinephiles. And this service is created by cinephiles. And the idea is to get you hooked on some new stuff you've never seen before yeah. and it's working perfectly with you because <laughs> no. now you're falling in love with French cinema <laughs> and that would never have happened likely had you not signed up for and used this service yeah this is stuff I mean the, the, the romantic comedy in the bed with Victoria that I was talking about is a recent film but I've gone back and watched some Jean-Luc Godard mm -hmm. uh, movies and it's a, it's a genre that I really wanted to get into and anytime I did see something like from uh, Genet who did Amelie, right? Yeah, Jean-Pierre Genet. Jean-Pierre yeah. Genet. Like, I've loved it. I just never, again, I never had a chance to get into it. This is perfect. Yeah, it's working exactly as prescribed. Woohoo! Yay! And, uh, I heard from a friend actually after last week's episode that he actually had been considering this and said he was going to sign up using our code. Yeah, all right. And uh, the uh, another one that I saw, there's they, they put these shorts on there too. Yeah. Like a lot of times it's like there's shorts that you would never have seen without something like this and uh because uh they're they're uh because martin mcdonough just got nominated for yeah. all that so he's got they've got a the short three billboards guy right three billboards uh -huh. they um they put his 2004 short six shooter on there it has it has brendan gleason in it it has donald gleason in a cameo mm -hmm. like a really young donald gleason um that movie oh my god that it's a 27 minute short film uh-huh it is funny as fuck. Really? Oh my god! <laughs> that show, that that movie. It's it's really it's a dark comedy. It's you know in the vein of the Martin McDonough stuff that we're we're used to and everything. But uh, I I was watching this with very like zero expectations because you know these short two thousand you know like uh -huh. well before they even became what they became or whatever. Usually are like eh hey, okay that was a good start or whatever. But dude, this is so funny funny movie i gotta man. check that out and uh so i would definitely see that yeah definitely sign up go to movie.com slash cinema so that's m-u-b-i.com slash cinema you get let me tell you what you get Ooh. you get a full month to enjoy this without paying one red cent that's yeah. pretty awesome yeah that's a that's a, a 30 day free trial yeah, like, i guarantee you'll fall in love where's the it. risk uh, yeah, you don't yeah. use it for 30 days. You don't keep going. And, yeah. and, and yeah. like you alluded to, Jeremy, uh, last time we did this, that's potentially 30 free movies that right. you could watch. <laughs> yeah. Actually, more than that, because you're going to have the, all the old stuff that's yeah. still there, too. So uh, potentially up to 60 movies. Yeah, you can you mow want. through these things pretty quickly, too. Yes, yeah. it's, it's awesome. So broaden your horizons. Yeah. Join us at movie.com slash cinemasins. Recommending and warning. Oh, Let's shit. do some. Oh, Oh shit! Oh shit! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a funny moment in Neighbors. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh shit! Oh shit! Oh, I thought shit. you were doing the uh, the beginning to uh, Fergie's London Bridge. No, I don't do much Fergie. <laughs> oh shit! That's that. That's how it begins. Mm. 
how come every time you come around my lundy lundy bridge want to go down yeah i, I watched the i watched that music video many times oh because God. i think we both send it right <laughs> yes we did that was an early one yeah that was like a first year one how about some recommendations and some warnings i've got a really good warning. let's hear it oh well you want to start with recommendations totes amaze balls they're great it won the academy award oh for what for best movie ever made yeah, let's start with recommendations. Well, last week we talked with Aaron Dicer about 2017. One of the movies he brought up that said was good was a movie called Gifted with Chris Evans. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I called it The Little Girl Good at Math. Yes. <laughs> um, which is all I remembered. That actually happened to come on a couple days ago, and I watched it. It's great. Really? Um, it doesn't fall into the traps you might expect from a story like this, because basically we, we've seen these kind of stories before. Basically, Chris Evans is the uncle. The mother of the little girl is dead. She wants her to live with Chris Evans. But that dead mom's mother, who was very hard on her and pushed her too hard all through life, wants the little girl for herself so she can get her into math. It's basically a good will hunting crossed with bad Santa. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, the interplay between uh, Chris Evans and the little girl are, is great. The little girl is fantastic. Um... And I, I don't know that I've ever seen her in anything else, uh, but she reminds me a lot of the Mad Men girl, Karen, Karen Shipka. Mm -hmm. um, she's got a very unique face, um, and, and she just plays a little wiser than her years. Um, and so basically, it's a custody battle. It's Chris Evans trying to figure out if he's even the right thing for this little girl. It's a grandma trying to win in court to steal her away. Um, and I I found it very enjoyable, very, mm. very moving. And... Uh, yeah, from the trailer, the reason I dismissed it as little girl good at math is from the trailer, it just it looked like it was paint by numbers. Right. Um, but it wasn't that at all. There's some great lines in there, too. The, the woman who plays the grandmother, I don't know if it's the actress or the writing, but she has this snarky delivery. Um, she's like, at one point, she's talking to Chris Evans, and she's like, yeah, go move out into the suburbs and teach her how to say irregardless. <laughs> 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 nice. um, stuff like that. Um and the, the, the interplay between those two, because there is still, because she's his mother, too. Uh, there is still love between them, uh, but they're fighting over custody for this little girl. And anyway, I found it I found it really good. Dicer doesn't steer you wrong. Nice. So nice. Gifted. gifted. That's my reco reco recommend. Little girl, good at math. Little girl, mm -hmm. good at math. That was the working title. <laughs> I read an, an interview with uh, Chris Evans back uh, a few months ago before Gifted came out. And he was, it was all about like him prepping for uh, Infinity War. He mm. was getting in Captain America shape and stuff like that. And he was exhausted in the interview. He's kind of alluding to the fact that he's going to be relieved when he doesn't have to play Captain America anymore. And he was effusive about this movie. He was like, man, yes, it, Infinity War is going to be great, but I want to talk about Gifted. It's really, really good. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So apparently he was on board. Even having Dicer recommended, I was surprised how much I liked it. Cool. So. Um, I, I've, I've already mentioned the stuff that I saw on movie. I would definitely recommend finding six shooter yeah. and watching that. And even Bob LaFlambeur, which is, uh, like I said, it's, it's just, uh, those are, that's just outstanding movies that are from the, uh, you know, before pre French new wave and everything. Um, I haven't seen anything new outside of that. So, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to dive into the well here of movies that I haven't, I don't feel like I've mentioned enough. And that would be the way, way back. Uh, hmm. It's a movie that uh, it's about a kid who uh, gets a job at a like a like a water park place, okay. yeah, or almost like Adventureland in right. a way. Um, but uh, 
you know, it's one of those coming of age type of movies. He's he's learning the ropes of like, you know, uh, you know, what a job is like a summer job that you don't really have to care much about. And he's fallen in love with the Anna Sophia Rob character and all that. But uh, Sam Rockwell is in this. Ah. He's fantastic. Of course, Maya Rudolph is in it. Tony Collette. Steve Carell plays his uh, stepdad or like like not a stepdad, but a boyfriend of his mm. of his mom and everything. And he's a, like an asshole. Steve Carell is just a dick in this movie. Like you never seen, you don't really ever see Steve Carell this way. Uh, but uh, it, it, you want to see a sort of nice light and breezy movie. And it's really funny, especially because of Rockwell and everything. I would recommend the way, way back. I don't mm. think it got, um, it, it gets much due really. Um, it, I don't think it was a big hit. I saw it on cable uh, quite a bit during the year after it was, um, uh, after it was released and everything. So I, I've seen it through that mostly. And anytime it's on, I, I just let it, I just watch it. Cause it's one of those type of movies. So I've heard be, good things. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been watching a lot of sexy movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, partially we watched the 50 shades, darker movie mm-hmm. for the sins video about to do a, a vintage Madonna video that's coming out. The week that this is posted, but I've been watching just off and on, I guess, because it's around Valentine's Day. Uh, a lot of movies coming on that that have captured my attention at different parts. Uh, two of them are from Francois Ozon, a uh, French director who directed this movie called Swimming Pool. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, which is extremely sexy and yeah. really well done. Yeah, uh, the the woman that uh, so it's Charlotte Rampley. Yeah, Charlotte Rampley. Uh, but then the younger girl is Ludovine Sanier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, her. Yes, oh, her. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, this is this. It's it's very very good. Uh, also saw Chloe, uh, which is, uh, is that Amanda, Amanda Seyfried yeah. and Julianne Moore and Liam Neeson's and that's Liam rude. Neeson's. That's right. That's super sexy. And the other one, and I'm actually going to get to another recommend. Sorry. The other one uh, is is Unfaithful, which we've talked about before. Diane yeah, Lane yeah, yeah. Olivier It gets Martinez. less sexy about halfway through. Well, yeah. The but, first but, half but, is ooh, sexy. Ooh, the first half. Yeah. Ooh, oh, man. it's steamy. Mm-hmm. It's steamy. It's steamy. Uh, I want to just throw this out there as a soft recommend, because I didn't like it nearly as much as I wanted to, The Post. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Post, I think, is a little bit disappointing. Mm. Uh, it's perfectly fine, perfectly acted directed abstemiously by steven spielberg but not but not like i don't i don't think i would watch this movie and immediately know that it was steven spielberg mm-hmm. that directed that there's yeah. a couple of shots where like people yeah. are walking towards some, you or something some, like that some tracking shots yeah, in there yeah, yeah. or you know oh yeah that's spielberg yeah it's really good and it's about really interesting content um you're right about the david cross bob odenkirk reunion is just mm-hmm. like nice to yeah. see that uh but everything is good it just felt like paint by numbers to me like there's there's a scene where meryl streep gets her emotional moment this is going to be in all the oscar pre-rolls where she's it and it's kind of misplaced Mm -hmm. like it's before the next day that something important really happens and it's like oh we got to get meryl her scene (laughs) here you know and she plays it very very well but it's just like i don't know something was left lacking it didn't have the charisma or the firepower of all the president's men. Mm. Um, I think it, it's just kind of more generic. I'm saying that, but I do I do still like it and I do still recommend it. All um, right, so that, that was a soft recommend. Soft recommend. Very soft. I, I will I will uh, second uh, swimming pool. I, I saw it uh, when it came out. 
that's a really interesting movie yeah uh, on a lot of levels of movies that uh yeah you, it's it's a sort of a, a mind bender yeah and uh it's really good by the way sorry to france for all of our pronunciations today. <laughs> <laughs> sorry friends we we say desolé. I, I i i uh, went through four years of french and i still can't speak it correctly what's crazy is that watching all this these french films i can pick up a lot of what they're saying yeah and it's interesting, you know, people that you do this with English, like they'll they'll watch like an English show with subtitles on it to kind of get that muscle memory mm-hmm. going. And uh, it, it brought back those, I think I had like six years or so total of French. And like I could pretty much understand the broad strokes of what's going on. Probably can't speak it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Our buddy Jeremy Simser is in France right now. Oh, may we? Posted a picture yesterday of the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> That's, that was prob- that's probably better pronunciation than anything we've said so far. Arrivederci. Um, I've never been to Europe, so I'm kind of jealous. He went over there for his wife's roller derby tournament. Yeah, and they did well, right? I don't know. I, I think, think they, they got bronze. Third, right? Yeah, yeah they got they bronze. Was, yeah. I don't know anything about roller derby. I haven't even seen the roller derby movies. Bronze means first in roller derby. Oh, it's <laughs> awesome. It's basically getting, uh, it's basically like... Uh, trying to outlap the other team basically right isn't it but, but, like but that? i think you can like jab them no, with elbows yeah, you can and hit shit them too, and right? shit. Yeah. yeah uh but it's 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 stuff like that it's like you trying to roller skate past the other team yeah i could get down with that <laughs> yeah man. no i used to watch it did you really like back in the 80s when espn was espn <laughs> when really espn because they used to have all those you know niche sports yeah, and right. everything and they used to play roller derby and like i think they used to play like the, the the kind of roller derby where like it was like you know almost getting to the WWE level like you're watching it <laughs> to see people get hurt basically right. and they've got characters outlandish characters yeah 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 um but um Simser when he was out here when we did the we were at the convention yeah described the because I had forgotten the rules and I've forgotten it again even after he explained <laughs> it to me um but uh he was telling me that and i was like so is this that no 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 that no that's not the rules at all and anyone i probably just went through the same thing on this show by the way i blew my wife's mind yesterday when she found out that i was excited to watch curling at the olympics oh hell yeah she thought i was joking like for five mm-hmm. minutes she thought i was pu- pulling a fast one she's like you really like curling? yeah man i was like yeah i, I don't know why i don't fully understand it <laughs> but i really like watching I know, it it's, it's not a joke all right should we warn people yes yep. Danger, Will Robinson. all right i'm gonna warn you about a movie that i spent way too much time watching it's called welcome to the jungle mm. and this is not, not jumanji. jumanji yeah gotcha. welcome to the jungle it stars adam brody from the oc yeah uh-huh. um and it's also got Jean-Claude Van Damme, Kristen Schaal, Dennis Haysbert, uh, and Chris Van Damme, Jean-Claude's son. No Ooh. way. And then basically, the way I would describe this to you is somebody watched Tropic Thunder mm-hmm. and then made the laziest imitation ever. Oh, my God. So these people are all part of an office, and they're sent on some wilderness retreat. Mm-hmm. And Jean-Claude Van Damme is their instructor because he's this war hero with all these decorations and he was a SEAL and what have you and survival and whatnot. <laughs> and then people start dying and they have to figure out why. They find out Jean-Claude Van Damme is lying, just like Nick Nolte in Tropic Thunder was. No mm-hmm. And Adam Brody has to figure out how to get him out and let them live. Boy, is this movie bad. Is it a comedy? It is. Oh. Um, it is a comedy. Jean-Claude does himself no favors <laughs> by appearing in this. He does his son a favor, obviously, by getting him right. a role. 
I couldn't tell you who Chris Van Dam was in the movie because I didn't know he was in it until after I watched it and I looked up the cast. Um, he plays Brett, Jeremy. Oh, he plays Brett. <laughs> Brett. Brett. I don't remember which one Brett is. Look but, at the big brain on Brett. But see, he's he's basically Adam Brody's like the sensible one. We've got to, you know, find shelter and we've got to find food and blah, blah, blah. But there's one coworker who goes full Lord of the Flies. So within like one day, he's become a prophet and they're praying to him. And they're like a tribe with mud on their faces and everything. It's really silly and stupid. And uh, don't even waste five It also minutes. has his daughter in it. Oh, too. my God. Just look this up. Bianca Brigitte Van Damme. Who, who does she play? She plays Ashley. Oh, I don't, I, I don't remember Ashley either. <laughs> you know, Brett and Ashley. Brett and, and Ashley. Ashley. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, stay away. Stay far when away. When did this come out? Uh, 2013 yeah just and a it's, few years it's, ago uh, on the imdb it's got a 5.0 that's interesting bad. <laughs> yeah it's bad yeah. i'm telling you i'm steering you away from it it's bad um i i don't have a true warning um i i have been pretty lucky in the past month i haven't watched very many things that i'd be like all oh, that sucked it's all um, that movie <laughs> yeah all that movie and all that just going after movies that are getting showered with praise right. and everything but uh, the the one out of this group, and I'm I I would hesitate to say that it's a warning. It's definitely not a recommend. So it's not even a wreck of warn. <laughs> it's just it's the one out of that group that I that I felt really was not not well made not well made was all the money in the world. Oh Ooh. yeah. Um, Christopher Plummer is great. I think he definitely deserves an Oscar nomination and everything. I do think that maybe possibly he's getting this nomination based on what he had to do sure. to get into it and everything. He's great. And again, I can't even I can't even think about Kevin Spacey in that role. Mm -hmm. Can't even think about it. Um and I, I think Michelle Williams is good. <sighs> I really have a problem with Mark Wahlberg in this movie. Hmm. <laughs> um, and I don't have a, I mean, I, I'm, I'm generally okay with Wahlberg kind of like Keanu Reeves. If you put him in the right thing, he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But when Mark Wahlberg is in that super earnest, uh, pleading type of role, <laughs> you gotta go do this, man. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 his, his eyes always bug out and he's always like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta go, you gotta do the right thing. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it gets to the point where I'm like, fuck you. Oh my God. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it really is nails across the chalkboard when he's earnest. Imagine that. That moment in the happening. Yeah. And I, and I looked it up and there's there's a YouTube video with this on the loop. The woman comes up and she's like, You're stealing from us. And he's like, Ma'am, no. No. Wahlberg looks like in those in those roles, he looks like a guy who um, he's really wanted to act all his life. <laughs> yeah. And, and somebody, you know, pulls him off the street and gives him a chance. And he's like, I can play Ernest, man. I can yeah. play it. You know, and he comes up there, you know, you know, this, he did this in three Kings. I thought was, he started wearing me out too. And like, then that's an earlier one for him and everything. He's like, cause when he plays that ultra earnest kind of character, you're like, uh, the, the, the other thing about the movie is that it is, it's all over the place as far as it's telling its story, because at the beginning of it, it, it right off the bat, it's like, okay, kid's been kidnapped. 
Then it goes back in time and shows the family before all this stuff happens. And the kid, the main kid who gets kidnapped is younger and everything. And for a bit there, you're like, are these even the same hmm. people and what's going on? So they go through all that. And, and the, the whole, the whole setup is that the father of this family is the son or the grandson of Christopher Plummer. And he's, and Christopher Plummer, who's just an absolute dick in this movie finally giving one of his family a chance to earn a lot of money and and you know basically uh, learn the learn the system and and take over when he dies essentially um so at the very beginning of it it's like uh you know you see them sort of in court like sort of like learning uh the new life and everything and then before you know it it's jumped into jumped into the future again huh. but it's the future just before the kid is kidnapped oh. and it's like it's <laughs> like what's going on like the the father the father was you know you don't really get a chance to get to know this father at all and you think okay yeah he's kind of down on his luck he needs this break blah 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 next thing you see he's in some he's in some like other country and he's got he's on drugs and he's sleeping with somebody some other woman and his son has grown up and you don't know i mean it's it's the the structure of this is so off that's weird and then it finally just just settles into the one groove like why did you go back in time forward back in time at the beginning of this for 20 to 30 minutes hmm. and then you're you just decide to sit on this one and never flash back again after that and uh it's it seems like it's all over the place i don't know if it's because of the kevin spacey stuff i don't think it would be mm -hmm. uh -uh. um this is ridley scott right? ridley scott yeah, yeah. well and it's i was gonna say ridley is like He's not reliable for me in terms of what you're talking about. Yeah. Because he's made movies like, um, did he make Spy Game or did Tony make Spy Game? That was Tony. That was Tony. Well, they they have the same blood, so I'm going to mm -hmm. lump them in. Oh, yeah. They made, they've made very similar movies. But that Body of, Body of Lies movie, with is that the one with Leo? That's Ridley, yeah. Um, and that one is cut in a really weird way. Um, but then you have movies like Alien or The Martian where right. he's, it's, it's just perfect. So, you know, I don't understand how and why that happens. But. He's probably batting like... 725 for his career yeah well, it's funny he's he is very much like a like a slugger yeah right he's gonna hit you a home run or he's probably gonna ground out yeah or you know, maybe walk yeah he's one of, i mean he's one of the he's uh he's 80 now wow which he, he looks awesome oh for yeah you. absolutely and and uh i i think he's one of those guys he just really likes to work like woody allen will come out with one every mm -hmm. year he comes out with one every year mm -hmm. and i think uh I think that's I think that uh, you know that keeps you alive and mm -hmm. keeps you keeps you vital and all that and I don't think he really cares one way or another if it's going to be like you know an ultra hit or whatever he right. just likes to do the work yeah mm -hmm. and yeah. so like yeah you'll get a Martian every once in a while but then you start you get getting Alien you know, Covenant yeah Alien <laughs> Covenant and, and the promise of three more or whatever so well I have a hard worn on the Cloverfield. Uh, par paradox. <laughs> heard nothing but bad. What's funny is that, that uh, so everybody freaked the fuck out when mm -hmm. this commercial ran, and the early word I saw from Twitter friends was was good. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, when everybody who had seen it had time to write their review, yeah, it's bad. I, yeah, I, I, well, I caught it. it. So I caught it the night of the Super Bowl, and I had no context of what it was going to be like from you know, Twitter or the, the right. reviews or anything like that because they came out with the commercial on the Super Bowl and then it was available after mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. 
So I love Cloverfield. I love Cloverfield as a movie, and I really liked the marketing campaign for Cloverfield. Mm -hmm. J.J. Abrams was super smart about like these little Easter eggs, these little kind of uh, the mystery about it all. Mm -hmm. um, the movie kind of just overindulges by the end of it, um, but I was on board. I really like 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, I don't think that it needed to be a Cloverfield project, but it certainly worked as a movie for me. And so I was psyched to see this movie, mm -hmm. even though from what we were talking about when we were previewing the God particle thing, um, it seemed a little odd that we hadn't seen anything about it. We hadn't seen any trailers or any information about it. We thought it was going to be a secret, uh, but it turns out Paramount, I guess, was negotiating with, with Netflix to take over this. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how this would have worked cinematically if they had dropped it in theaters. It would have made no money whatsoever. So I they probably did the right that. thing. I don't know about that. This is something that fascinates me and annoys me about this Cloverfield shit. Mm -hmm. The first movie gets more credit than it deserves because it was marketed so well. Mm -hmm. It's an enjoyable movie. Mm -hmm. The second movie gets more credit than it deserves because it came out of nowhere. No one knew it had been made. No yeah. one knew a Cloverfield sequel was coming. And the only reason they were able to achieve that was by taking a completely different movie and tacking some Cloverfield shit on in the last three minutes. Right. It's not a Cloverfield movie. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing here. They took a completely different movie. They've already openly announced, yeah, we, we had to add in the connections to the Cloverfield universe. But they put that trailer on the Super Bowl and Twitter went fucking nuts. Yeah. It's the only film franchise I can think of that gets so much love because it's good at surprises and marketing. Yeah. And not, when was the last time you heard somebody talk about the content of any of these films? The first two. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, usually it's, everybody why did, why was did they do so that? amazed <laughs> that they had somehow made a Cloverfield movie and mm. were releasing it that night with no one knowing, and that somehow makes the whole franchise look better in the eyes of those fans, and I don't get it. Well, I'll tell you about the content of the movie. It fucking sucks. That's what I've heard. The personnel here is was as surprising. When I saw the credits come up and it's uh, Zi Zhang and it's uh, mm -hmm. Chris Bruhl. O'Dowd and Daniel Bruhl and uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw, I was like, yeah, all right, I'm on board with this. And it just doesn't know what it's trying to say. Like it, it's it's weird for the sake of being weird at times. It's essentially Event Horizon, uh, but without being scary. Hmm. Um, and then they have a completely different movie. So it, it takes place mostly on the space station that has done something to where it created a paradox and gone to a different dimension, mm -hmm. which is a great idea. There's so many good ideas in this movie. Um, and then, you know, the Earth disappears and they're on the other side of the galaxy or something like that. Um, somebody shows up on the crew unexpectedly and is, is not explained for a while. All those ideas are interesting to me. There's a crisis happening on Earth involving the Cloverfield monsters. It just doesn't execute. It's silly at times. It's It pulls its punches at times. It's not scary. It's not smart. It's just, it's not like pulling on your heartstrings, even though they have this scene with Gugu and Batha Ra at the end where, where she gets teared up and she's thinking about, the crew members that she's lost and the family that she's lost. And it's a real long shot on her. It seem, seems like it's like a couple of minutes and she's squeezing out these tears. And you're like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I don't fucking care at all about this character. Like, you've given me nothing to make this impactful at all. So, yeah, don't don't watch it. What's, I mean, you can hate watch it, I guess, but don't go in expecting anything. This is good. an interesting case, and I'll be curious to see what, if anything, Netflix ever says about how many people watched it because... I think everybody won here. 
Paramount dumped a movie that mm -hmm. wouldn't have done well for them in theaters mm -hmm. because I think I think it would have done well opening weekend because it was a, another surprise Cloverfield right. film. But I think the word of mouth would have hurt it because word of mouth on 10 Cloverfield Lane was really good and yeah. that propelled it. Um, so Paramount got rid of a movie that was not going to make them money. The rumors mm -hmm. are they sold it to Netflix for 50 million. Yep. And I'll bet you good money that they made back most of their production costs, if not all, and that Netflix still probably views this as a win for them because I, I bet you millions of people went and watched that movie. Super probably so. Mm -hmm. Probably so. If, if 11 million people watched Bright in its opening weekend, I bet this did just as well in the first three days. Yeah, especially with better. the marketing. Yeah. yeah, Super Bowl ad, I mean, does wonders for things yep. like that, especially if it's immediately around the corner, like the This Is Us episode yeah. that came. I mean, there's people who never saw an episode that probably watched that. Yep right afterwards and uh, to think that this trailer came out during the super bowl and said hey watch this it's available as soon as the super bowl is over yeah it's not even you know you don't have to wait six months like most of the movie trailers that you see in yeah the super or bowl. go anywhere you can literally everybody's got a netflix subscription so you could just fire it up right right then and there where you're trying yeah. to sleep no off i mean your it's, it's it's an interesting moment and i'll be curious i'll be curious to see what else like this we start seeing moving forward it's such a wasted chance though Brilliant marketing, the immediacy of it, the ideas of this movie. But see, I would argue cast. all the Cloverfield movies are like that. None I, of those they're, movies. They're not anywhere near this bad, though. But I, again, I haven't seen this one, but mm -hmm. I don't think they're as good as everybody says they are. I think they get, it's kind of like the Beatles. They get, a, they're a little overrated, even though they're good. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. One thing that's good about this, though, is that I can finally say Gugu and Batha Raw, and you know who I'm talking about. She's awesome, by the yeah. way. She is beautiful, mm -hmm. and she plays, you know, the central character here. I mean, the the thing about this pisses me off about movies, where especially space movies, where they're like, a crew member dies, and they just fucking go about their lives. Mm -hmm. It happened in Sphere. That's not a space movie, but it's basically the same thing. And people just go on like, oh, well, that's, yep. that's a real shame. A dude <laughs> fucking died. And they're like, oh, all right, guess, let's move on to the yeah, next thing. Yeah, but I guess the problem is in a two-hour movie is that if you spend a lot of time mourning, you're going to get to the point of going... Okay, I get it. Yeah, well, that happened in uh, in Alien Resurrevenant. Yeah, yeah, Alien Covenant. They were just like, oh, James Franco's dead. Well, let's send him out. Um, the uh, <laughs> we we took great pains in that hunger that first Hunger Games video to explain that Jennifer Lawrence is still fucking crying, like. <laughs> 10 minutes after the 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 rue character dies <laughs> and uh and like it just seems like it takes forever like come on yeah get get on with the hunger games already <laughs> <laughs> exactly we got some cues question question i got something to say i want the truth i am listening uh we do and before that i want to read an email that we got from a listener okay. uh that will lead to a question uh, we meant to get to this a couple of episodes ago. So, uh, Christian, sorry for the wait, uh, but we wanted to read this because it really touched us. And even though it's been several weeks, I bet you a lot of this stuff is still going on. In it fact, is. I know it is still going on. Hello there, CinemaSins crew. My name is Christian, and I'm a big fan of you guys from Puerto Rico. I have been watching your videos since I was in high school, around the time that YouTube account started, and I've been loving what you do guys do ever since. But around a year ago, when I first started listening to your podcast, I have been religiously hearing them every Monday on my way to college. You may have probably heard about the situation in Puerto Rico, yes, uh, related to Hurricane Maria. Around 60% of the island is still without power. Jesus. It's been a rough... Uh, yeah. 
uh, it's been a rough fourth quarter of 2017 and first of 2018, which is ridiculous, by the way. Yeah, um, it should be criminal. It's it's absurd. Uh, where I'm going with this is that after the hurricane, one of the things that brought my sanity in check uh, was listening to Syncast. Thanks to you guys, you've helped made the recovery process less suckish and have given me the laughter and excitement for films I needed. You've turned my late nights into great listening sessions while he does homeworks in the dark. Um, as I'm writing this, the energy company is finally working on my street, and I wanted to thank and congratulate you guys for everything you do. Your passion for films really does make a difference, especially since my major is in film production. Huh. That is a really touching uh, thing. I'm so glad that we could be a distraction for all the crap you had to go through. And I'm sure, you know, any listener in Puerto Rico, man, uh, we feel for you. That That's just, it's ridiculous that it's taking this long. It makes me mad because yeah. the, the problem is that contracts for cleanup and repair were rewarded as kickbacks, mm -hmm. right? You Like there was that company in Whitefish, Montana with one employee yeah. that got the biggest like energy contract and they'd never done anything like this. I read an article yesterday about a woman in Atlanta who got a, a, a food contract to deliver, I want to say, like a million meals. It was meals. in the millions of meals. And, and she only delivered, she, she's her only employee, hmm. and she only ever delivered 56,000 or something like that. Yeah. And they eventually sent her a letter and said, your contract is terminated. Don't send any more meals. It's just, why would she ever have been in the position to win that bid in the first place yeah. if she's got one employee? What can she possibly put on paper don't tell me there's not corruption going on in this bullshit. Yeah. And people are fucking dying mm -hmm. without power, without clean water. Yeah. No, I can't a, personally fix it. It's a failure everywhere. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And we should be ashamed. Yeah. Anyway, he had a question as well. Yes. So on to the question. Imagine you're in Puerto Rico at the time of the hurricane and are stuck with three movie characters of any genre. Who would you pick and why? That's a fun question. It's probably something to just distract from all the bullshit that's going on down there uh fun thing to to think about and to answer what do you guys think um okay so we we need to have somebody who is uh, adept at survival obviously yep. in this so i'm gonna have hugh glass from the revenant in there the you go <laughs> we get into any situation i'm pretty sure that he has the idea those puerto rican bears can be indeed, <laughs> indeed um so I'm going to have Hugh Glass. I'm also going to have, we just talked about the way, way back. I think this is how I got the idea for the recommend. I'm going to have Sam Rockwell. Ah. Uh, now, Sam Rockwell in the movie is not exactly the type of guy who's, uh, I would say, um, reliable or anything like that. <laughs> he's just very funny. Mm -hmm. And he's going he's gonna to keep you in check. He's going he's to he's say, let's not take this so seriously all the time. So I'm going to have somebody who can give me some laughs and keep me in check. Uh, and then I'm going to have Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Oh. Uh, because I figure after he's made the time travel machine and everything uh, from the Back to the Future movies, he stopped making things that suck anymore. I think he's been, I think he's inspired at this point oh. to make things that, that he can, he's almost MacGyverish in a way. Interesting. That he can be able to, you know, invent some things that will yeah. help us along the way. He invented Mr. Fusion. That's right. Well, I don't know if that he invented runs off it. Of trash. No, I think he invented that. I he? always took that gag as Mr. Coffee had invented Mr. Fusion and he oh. just bought one at the store and mm. put it on the car. Interesting. Yeah. I thought he had invented that. I don't think it would have a Mr. Fusion logo on it. Uh, yeah, that's if a good point. If he invented it, 
That's a good point. But you know, as you recall, in uh, before before we even know the DeLorean works in Back to the Future, all of his inventions are terrible. Right. Before that, yes. You know, they're they they have they have some sort of great intention, but no real way of working whatsoever. And he probably got lucky with the DeLorean too. <laughs> but <laughs> well, yeah, with the flex capacity, yeah. I finally invented something that works. Right. Right. So, uh, but I think after he's made this, he's he's on the right track, and I think that in a situation like that. He would be able to help us out with his his knowledge and everything. Yeah. So there we go. Good call. Nice. It's funny that you bring up MacGyver. Um, MacGyver. <laughs> so I limited myself. I didn't want to choose like Jesus or Superman or anybody like that. <laughs> I don't know if Jesus would actually be that much <laughs> help. Try telling that to my parents. I mean, <laughs> he could raise the dead and everything. There but, you like, go. He can he can multiply the loaves and fishes, baby. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The food thing. All right, so yeah. I went with uh, Rambo, <laughs> MacGyver, and Leo from Blood Diamond. And Ooh. my my reasoning is <laughs> between the three of them, there feels like a good mix of ingenuity, combat ability, and smooth talking, quick thinking. Why do you yep. need combat ability? It's a fucking war zone. It's a hurricane. It's the same thing as a war zone, baby. People are out there looting. <laughs> People are out there breaking and entering, stealing TVs. Don't steal your shit. <laughs> I'm not going to die because Rambo's by my side. <laughs> now, what's going to happen is you're going to be like in your house, sitting in the middle of a hurricane, cut off from the rest of society, and you're going to have to spend all this fucking time with John Rambo. <laughs> hey, that, he's not, got stories. <laughs> I bet he's got you're stories. He's sitting there. Now, he doesn't talk. He doesn't ever talk in these movies. Well, then I'm not going to be annoyed by him. Except when he's saying it's not my war. And I get to listen to Leo with a, you know, African accent. <laughs> and uh, MacGyver can, you know, build shit. He can create fire without flint or tinder. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well have Tim. <laughs> Tim the Enchanter. You know, it's funny. When I originally started writing down characters and everything i was thinking along these lines too i like need some sort of protection for the people who out there who are uh, on the way desperate side and everything and who want to like rob from people and right. stuff like that so i had uh you know arnold schwarzenegger from t2 there you the, go the, the t800 essentially uh protecting me and everything it would have to be obviously the the terminator from t2 right it can't yeah, be yeah no it can't be anything <laughs> before that uh but uh but yeah like but then i was thinking about it i was like you know what you know what i i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt here and just say <laughs> i don't you know let, I, I have i have you glass i don't need anybody to to be my gunman i went time. i went self-defense first that was my first thought We're sitting in there but staring straight ahead it's not with a John bad Rambo. idea though <laughs> All right, my first person is going to be Theo, Clive Owen's character from Children of Men. Mm. I think it's underrated, like his ability to avoid danger throughout this entire movie and to deal with a catastrophic environment going from, you know, a bombing to all this this crazy uh, revolutionary stuff and, uh, you know, being pursued, being in this this war camp, basically, and being able to escape. He leads her through all this bullshit uh, avoiding these very bad dudes and even delivers her baby like mm -hmm. and, and somehow protects the child too so i think he can deal with the crisis no that's you know, a good call I think he can that's really, a good call uh, he's not physically imposing or anything like that he can just get out of situations mm -hmm. uh the second person is going to be t'challa or black panther 
from Black Panther and Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I cannot wait to see Black Panther. Boy, the early reviews, like most Marvel movies, but they're strong. Um, and what, what's really telling is that the average score was like 8.6. That's yeah. really high. Um, yeah. So he's, they not only all liked it, they all liked it a lot. Well, not only is he charismatic, but he's also, he's got this supply of all this vibranium. Uh, he's got connections with politics and stuff like that. He's super rich. Uh, he can probably make some shit happen. I like how you gave me shit for picking Rambo and then you pick fucking Black Panther. I'm not picking him for his Black Pantheriness. <laughs> I'm picking him for his... You, you, get, you get that one, you get the other. They're bo- it's part of a package. <laughs> Listen, if I need to break it out, that's fine. But at least I got a personality on the guy that's protecting me. I'm not fucking John Rambo where he's just going to start shouting or By the just way, shut up. Apparently in this trailer that ran on the Super Bowl for Infinity War, there's, there's a shot of Tony in the Iron Man suit that sort of shows it almost self-forming around him. Mm-hmm. Apparently... I don't know this. I don't read a lot of Marvel comics, but apparently in the comics, there's a whole arc where he has a suit that literally lives under his skin. Oh, really? And comes out of his skin to form around his body. And people are suggesting that's the suit we've gotten to in the MCU now. Because there's that shot of Doctor Strange doing his orange thing where Iron Man flies through him. Mm -hmm. And Iron Man's suit is doing stuff in that scene Mm. like autonomously. Anyway, I don't seems, seems interesting I don't want to see that silly bullshit. But <laughs> Black Panther, who's your third choice? Uh my third choice, you gotta have some entertainment, so I'm going with uh, Tiffany Haddish yeah. from Girls Trip. <laughs> well you guys are all about even, her. I don't even know her uh, her character's <laughs> it's name. It's crazy it, how how just one performance and then, you know, it, it's so it, it's like it's so memorable and so funny <laughs> that she's instantly shot up to yeah. uh, to a higher level. Maybe she doesn't deserve it. I don't know, but she's hilarious. She's so great, man. I mean, it's like at the beginning of the movie when they're she's over at Jada Pinkett Smith's house and she's saying bye to her her kids and she's all weepy and she's like, "Heifer, you are not going to war." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's hilarious, but also she's fiercely loyal in that movie. Mm-hmm. So I would want somebody that's not only going to to keep me you know loose and laughing and things like that um that she'll she'll be protective and loyal and stuff like mm-hmm. that so yeah that's my pick all right all right needs more rambo but <laughs> yep yep oh, i'm fine with it i have a paucity of ramboness that's right would you say oh. that i have a plethora of rambos after hearing about jeremy's love of great movie premises whether or not the movie turns out to be good i began thinking about a bad movie that i love due to its concept the queen of the damned this was Aaliyah's last movie role before her death i absolutely love the premise of the centuries-old vampire who's tired of living in the shadows breaks out and becomes a lead singer of a goth metal band Mm-hmm. When you put it like that, uh, aside from the casting choices, I feel like this movie got tripped up by the lore of Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles, and specifically The Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned, uh, the books. In my opinion, the premise alone would have made a great movie or even a Netflix series. Are there any other terribly adapted movies that you think would be better served by simply taking the premise and calling it something else? Now, I do, I, yeah, it's it's a tough question to sort of break down right. Uh the from what i can understand what he's saying here is that the queen of the damned was was even though that was in the uh ann rice vampire chronicle stuff and Mm -hmm. everything we were used to the vampire lestat stuff we Mm -hmm. were the you know interview with the vampire and all that that's what we were used to the queen of the damned comes along and it's not that at all Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's another part of the story but it's yeah 
it we're we're so used to this romantic type of uh you know brad pitt tom cruise bullshit <laughs> that that uh, it, it comes out of left field and it makes no sense to a moviegoer who may not have read the books or anything like that so the way i take this is that it almost requires either an existing movie franchise or based on a book or maybe based on a video game mm-hmm. or something like that that they used the name of some like doom would be an example right, right, right. like doom that movie doesn't need to exist <laughs> yeah. they could have made they could have called that anything else it's still a piece of shit but they put doom on it because you know they want to get the people out right. or they just uh, so um so the way i thought of this was and, it, and this was still tough for me to come up with a movie because a lot of times uh a franchise a movie franchise is so reliant on all the other stuff that happened before it and everything like if you get into the second and third movies so reliant on all the other stuff that it's hard to imagine them as any other standalone movie Mm -hmm. but i finally maybe this is wrong but i came down to the fact that star wars episode two attack of the clones could Ah. could could be not a star wars movie okay Mm. Obviously, you're going to have to cut out any connection to the Star Wars, which I don't think is. I mean, it's it's you'd have to change names of people and all that. But at the heart of Attack of the Clones is a just it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a detective story. Um, if you if you take the if you if you rename the character something else, some of the actions in there may not be as bad. Like you know, like the one of the things, and this is this happened in the Red Letter Media video, and I believe we pointed it out. Uh, the you know the the point where um obi-wan is jumping out after that like that little yeah. spaceship uh-huh. thing that's trying to kill natalie yeah. portman it's like this is such an anakin thing to do but they make obi-wan yeah. do it and it doesn't make any sense but if you just change the names <laughs> then it doesn't matter right. at that point um but i i like the idea of an interplanetary mystery mm-hmm. a, a detective of some sort going around and like trying to figure out is this government up to no good and all that? And what are they, what are they plotting? Imagine just uh, imagine that they're plotting, you know, uh, building these robots and everything, you know, to, uh, to dominate the, uh, the galaxy and everything. So would you keep on the convenient eavesdropping? Uh, absolutely not. (laughs) That is something I would definitely change. I would change that entire, in fact, that entire sequence leading, I mean, I change all of attack of the clones pretty much, but, the you know the entire sequence like the the pretend the pretend death thing yep. that happens the yeah the 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 eavesdropping oh my god so <laughs> so much nonsense you'd keep and uh, he just come, he, he just somehow knows where to go yeah. and i guess it's because of the force but they never really explicitly say <laughs> the entire planet yeah would you keep natalie portman's uh midriff <laughs> midriff oh of course why would i change that um but uh i do i do think that 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 if you just made that not a star wars you have a little bit more breathing room to make that a better movie uh and just you know and just yeah don't call it star wars mm-hmm. and then suddenly there's some of the, the like the weight of this movie is lifted you can go on do do uh do better and more complex things and you can take jar jar out <laughs> i think i misunderstood this question because mm-hmm. my the answer i wrote down was the dark knight rises because it does so much from the nightfall comic storyline but it's also so indebted to the first two films in the trilogy 
that it can't do everything that Nightfall does. Mm-hmm. And so it ends up not really being part of the trilogy and not really being a proper Bane and Batman movie. I think that's in a way that works. Yeah, because it's terribly adapted. Yeah, this is terribly adapted. So it, it does, it, Dark Knight Rises is sort of relying on previous chapters, yeah. but it's also its own thing. Yeah. And, and it's, it feels like kind of a mess and everything. And if you were to make this a standalone Batman movie and just yeah. call it Nightfall, yeah. then... It would be rad. Right. It would be <laughs> rad. It would be rad. I want it so bad. Uh, but while you were talking, I thought of Alien Resurrection. Mm. It's another one that they, they felt they had to have Sigourney Weaver, they had to have all these connections to the Alien franchise, where, in my mind, the idea of a prison colony planet having to battle killer aliens Mm -hmm. and the guards having to decide whether to let the prisoners help and if so which ones and so i think that's a much more interesting story if you don't force yourself to tie it to all the other alien stuff Mm -hmm. Um, so that while you were talking that was the one i was like well if i understand the question correctly now i would say alien resurrection but Mm -hmm. it it suffers because of its tie to the franchise Mm -hmm. no i think your dark knight rises is a good example okay good good well that'll be my main one then i'm actually stealing a little bit from from the listener because I did read all of the Vampire Chronicles when they were available. I think the one has come out since I read them uh, in high school. Man, I loved that shit. I loved it, especially these fr- first three books, uh, Interview with the Vampire, Vampire Lestat, and Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would make a really good Netflix series, um, even if you took off the name of Interview with the Vampire or the Vampire Chronicles. Because as we saw, we were just talking earlier today about what we do in the shadows, you can still do a lot of good shit with vampire stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Only Lovers Left Alive, that Jim Jarmusch uh, movie that came out a couple years ago. I haven't seen that. That dealt with vampires. Like, Let the right one in. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff, material that you can go through. The version that Anne Rice presented was really you know, motivated by romance and um, relationships and stuff like that, you know, throughout, you know, vampires are trying to find other vampires so that they can essentially live their lives in a way that that has some companionship. That's the whole Louis Lestat storyline. I thought Interview with the Vampire was a pretty terrible movie. Mm, I think oh, yeah. the performances across the board by good actors. Tom Cruise is a good actor. Brad Pitt's a good actor. Christian Slater. Slater is a good actor. Yeah. I mean, you can't really fault Kirsten Dunst uh, for her performance, but eh, eh. Mm. I mean, Stephen Ray. Anto- yeah. yeah, there's a lot. There's but, a lot of people uh, in that movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that story was really, really interesting. And they were going for star power instead of like actual storyline. Uh, Vampire Lestat is a, a movie that has been rumored to be made for the last, was it, 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never really seen the light of day, even though it's a super compelling story. Um, Queen of the Damned, this this uh, questioner is correct. It's really interesting. It's uh, this vampire that's tired of doing, you know, this this ruling thing and wants to come out and be, you know, hot shit. Um, she's impervious to the sun, I think. Uh, so... That's really interesting, and I think you could explore that, and you can make it, you know, She's sexy. She's a daywalker. She's a daywalker, yes. A daywalker. All of their strengths, none of their weaknesses. <laughs> okay, I like this question. Guten Tag. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just listened to last week's episode, and I have to agree that the reveal in Ender's Game is great. I didn't realize that reveal, by the way, until I watched it for the sins purposes. Mm-hmm. That is an awesome reveal. Yeah. Um, that was one of my favorite all-time reading experiences was Ender's Game. I bet that was that was fun as hell. Because I had never heard of it at the time that I, that was the book was thrust in front of me. And I then I read it and I was like, oh, 
Oh, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's oh, genius. Uh, on that note, I was wondering what are some of your favorite big reveals from underrated movies. Um, I think that's a two-part question yeah. uh, that, that kind of interact. Uh, so big reveals, underrated movies. What do you think? All right. So um, in Rules of Attraction, there is a, a, a mystery for Sean Bateman. Actually, he doesn't think it's a mystery. Right that there's this there's this girl who's sending him all this stuff in his mailbox and everything he thinks it's the shannon sossman character the whole time and so every every way that he interacts with her informs that he thinks that she's so totally into him and all this other type of stuff and i think she kind of is but right. not not to the point that the the letters are are saying yeah she's got her own shit going on by the end of the movie though you find out that there has been this other girl the entire time that has been sending this stuff now she kills herself which right. is you know not cool or anything like that but she, she when they when they re, when they make the reveal that she's been the woman the whole time the movie goes back and shows you all the instances where she's in the background <laughs> yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And it's that movie's made so that could be another one of those like <laughs> recommend. It might be a wreck of Warren almost, but like <laughs> because it's it's not like for everybody. Yeah. It but doesn't leave you with a good feeling. It's one of those Brett Easton Ellis <laughs> type things, is it that and American Psycho or like, you know, but uh, but that reveal in that is just tremendously satisfying yeah. because of the way they do it. It's something that I actually thought they were going to emulate in Pitch Perfect 3 because there was a whole thing with uh, um, Anna Camp's dad in the movie where, she, where she's like, oh, I wish my dad could see me sing and all that. And by the end of it, you know, he's there. He, he's at her last performance or whatever. Good feel, feel good moment. But I thought because he was like some secret agent or something like that, they were going to go back <laughs> and show that he had been at all the shows. Oh, and I nice. thought that would have been amazing. Yeah. It would have been, you know, nice. it would have ripped off Rules of Attraction, right. but it would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good uh, call. I love that Rules of Attraction. That, yeah. that last scene, though, will really make you. Mm. The first scene, really, and the last scene, <laughs> yeah, which yeah, I think yeah. are the same party. Uh, it doesn't make you feel good about nope. yourself, but God, it's so compelling. I have two I don't really think count because I suck. <laughs> um, the first thing I thought of was Terminator 3 because... That's a good one. Uh, Claire Danes' dad, the military guy, gives them basically tells them how to get to this place where they can use the computer to shut down mm -hmm. um, the machines, basically. Um, <clears throat> Skynet. And so they go with Arnold... Of course, the evil Terminator follows them. Arnold has to stay outside and fight her and die. And mm -hmm. then they make it into this thing and they get down there and they slowly realize that all this equipment is like from the 1950s and there's no computer here to shut down Skynet. And he just was trying to protect his daughter uh, as best he could and get her to a bunker. Mm -hmm. And John realizes this is how my destiny begins. Everything I've been t told by my mother for years starts right now. Um, and he gets on the radio after the nuclear attack and starts talking to whoever the other survivors are. It's it's one of the best endings to a completely average movie. Right. Yeah, this is a great yeah. reveal because it, the the first two movies, the whole thing is about we're going to take down Skynet. Yeah. We got to stop this before it before it starts or whatever. And uh, and and so that's what you think this is going to be is that they're finally going to find a way to just destroy Skynet and everything. And then they're like, nope. Uh, this is 
you know, there's no way to stop Skynet. Basically, nope. the whole thing, the Terminator 3 is all basically about, you know, this whole thing about fate and everything like that has come to roost. You can't stop Skynet. Yep. There's always going to be a guy out there who's trying to make Skynet. Yep. And uh, and so, like, yeah, this uh, this whole reveal that, yeah, this is his headquarters now. This is how he becomes John Connor. Yeah. I really liked it too. I really like that ending too. It's exactly right. It is an average movie, but it has that great ending. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I just uh, it had so much promise. But instead, we flat <laughs> in the next movie. We flash forward, and he's become Christian Bale, yeah. and Claire Danes has become Bryce Dallas Howard. Stands to reason. Ah, I'm done. Did you have another one? Uh, I'm not going to say it because you guys seem to like that one. All right. I'm, okay. I'm not going to risk looking <laughs> stupid. I think this is firmly underrated. Shutter Island. Yeah. Uh, um, it's underrated as a movie itself, and it's definitely underrated as a Scorsese movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it's never mentioned in like even the top half of his filmography. Yeah, um, it's kind of hard to correct that, though. It is. Um, you know, I, I really like this movie. It's based on a great book, uh, and it is a big old mindfuck. Dennis fuck. Lehane, right? Mm-hmm. It's a big old mindfuck. Uh, I'm not going to get into the actual reveal, because if you haven't seen this, you should watch it, and you should watch it unspoiled if you can. Um, but things take a severe turn at the end of this movie and the way that they do it, I think is really genius because, you know, uh, Ben Kingsley's pumping the brakes essentially and like saying, this is how we have to do this for this to work. Um, you know, and then it introduces the, the true nature of a lot of the, the, uh, the colleagues that are, that have been around the Island. And it's just really it, it, it almost gave me chills because it, it puts it together so expertly and like everything makes sense and all the the reactions that Leo's having at the end, they all make sense. Ben Kingsley's character makes sense. Like it just, it, it wraps up neatly mm-hmm. and the way that it ends is pretty outstanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it, it, it's kind of a surprise ending, uh, but it makes sense and it's and it's it's satisfying, just like your rules of attraction thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they do this a uh, similar thing where they kind of replay the footage and say, "Here's what happened. Here's what happened." Uh, so I think that's both an underrated movie and a really cool ending. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely very cool. A reveal, if you will. It is a good reveal. Yes, and a creepy movie. Uh, let's do one more. All right. Similar to Dunkirk and Darkest Hour, what two movies with different tones but similar subject matter would make a good double feature? Love these. Okay, so um, I I did not uh, get different tones in my answer here. I I mean I, I that was a really tough thing for me to try to come down with because I'm sure if I gave it like days of thought or whatever that i could probably come up with you know movies that have different tones and would be great double feature especially stuff that's you know they're they got the basically the same story they complement each other in a way like that's you know the darkest hour and then uh, and dunkirk are just essentially that's that same time in in uh, history mm-hmm. so you could do a lot of world war ii movies this way and whatever but I ended up coming up with is this a spinal tap and fear of a black hat. Nice. Um, nice. Would be a great double feature to watch those two back to back. Um, they're very similar in a way, but they're off. They're, they're different too. And you know, the, the, I think the humor and fear of a black hat is, uh, is a little bit different from this is spinal uh-huh. tap is, is, uh, what would you say? Most of the, it's not one liners and everything. Well, what do you, what would you say? I don't know. It's the situation. It's the situation and the deadpan. Yeah. And just the way that they're committed to the. And it's so silly, but they 
treat it so seriously. Right, right. Like everything that, you know, the reaction to Eleven, like this goes to <laughs> Right. I don't understand what, what problem you have with this. <laughs> Both of them are perfect for their time. This is Spinal Tap is is really getting to this, you know, this rock and roll, uh, you know, rock and roll bands and like the stuff that's, that is so hit so close to home that some rock bands were like oh my god this is like a documentary almost not not like a not like a mockumentary but a real documentary this is stuff that actually (laughs) happens that's what but uh, i feel like those two would be would be good companion pieces the other one that i've always thought and these are all i guess in some way have varying varying degrees of tone or different you know different tones from each other but uh, it would be interesting, I think, to watch Quiz Show, JFK, and All the President's Men back to back. The reason for this is all three of those movies have something at the center of it that an investigator has to go in and try to find out the truth to. Nobody wants to talk, mm-hmm. and they have to find that lucky break somewhere to finally break the case and everything uh almost every single one of the i think yeah all three of these movies have scenes where an investigator goes to a door they say i'm here to talk about this and they get the door shut in their face yeah. mm-hmm. um so every one of them has that and and uh you know the uh it's they're all real the, the all three of those movies are great i'm a little bit more down on jfk these days just because of my world getting shattered on that <laughs> um, but uh but like uh you just i just as a technical achievement jfk is is a great movie to watch and uh and just just watching watching um how a mystery uh, gets unraveled and everything is real fun uh for that's me. a long marathon right there it is those are three long well, well, quiz show is uh average length and then all the president's men i guess isn't that and long. yeah jfk is the one that will yeah. that will spend your time your afternoon yeah. basically but They've always thought, and those are, and that's right. That's in chronological order, by the way. Quiz show in the fifties, JFK sixties and seventies, and then uh, and then uh, all, all the president's men is in the seventies. Oh, yeah. nice. Uh, and you know, you'll. Uh, I think that's. Uh, I've always thought that would be cool. I've never done it, but I would like to at some point. <laughs> They're chronological, and aren't they in reverse order? They were made. That's right. Awesome. That's right. Um, I totally misread this question and thought. That based on last week's podcast joke I made that the question asker was asking us to pick two different tone movies that could be cut together and ah. presented as one. All right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. take my answers with that understanding. <laughs> well, it's that funny. makes sense, too. I think that works. Uh, I actually thought about JFK, too. I thought if you if you cut together JFK and Jackie, um, mm-hmm. you might get a very interesting perspective on just how different her days after the assassination were compared to the rest of the country's yeah. few days yeah. after the assassination. The other one I thought of uh, was Lincoln. One, one thing Lincoln doesn't give you a whole lot of is uh, any of the war, yeah, because it's it's much more focused on Lincoln, the person, and the politics behind passing this bill. Um, so if you took something like Gettysburg, mm. that shows you plenty of battlefield stuff and you know, chain of command and battles right. and whatnot, and you intercut that with what's going on at, back in Washington, you know, you might get a little more insight into the urgency Lincoln feels to pass this bill because people are dying out here mm-hmm. constantly. Um, so those were the two I thought of. But again, I, I misunderstood the question. No, I think that really works good. perfectly yeah. well. And in fact, I actually was thinking along those lines when I first started it. Um, the I, just the problem is I didn't want to come up with the same thing over and over again. 
I didn't like. I feel like you could do all the World War II movies yep. and do that. Do it this way. Yep. You could come up with an entire patchwork of the World War II, the entire theater of World War II, uh, by splicing all the movies together. Imagine what kind of length movie that would be. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the most fi- uh, filmed about war that has ever been. Yeah. Is World yep. War II. Yep. You go through. You know, the European theater, the Asian theater, the African theater. Yeah. There's like a million different things that you could go through on that. And I was thinking that for a while, and I bet I could come up with a couple, but I just couldn't in the time that we were, you know, going through the questions and mm-hmm. everything. I, I love that exercise, though, yeah. trying to come up with something we could splice together. Yeah, totally. In fact, I even wrote in my responses, I love this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have one, uh, a cheat one, and then I'm going to do a real one, but... The Shining and Room 237 uh, mm. would be interesting. Now, it's cheating a bit because Room 237 uses a lot of the Shining footage Mm -hmm. in it. Uh, So you're kind of watching the same thing over and over. Tonally, they are very, very different, obviously. Uh, One is exploring the other. Room 237 is actually available on Mubi right now if you want to watch it. It's pretty much the most insane theories that fans have, educated fans have, Mm about the shining and kubrick's involved they're in fantastic they're, oh yeah they're crazy people but man <laughs> those theories are are just on the edge of being like he might have something yeah. here <laughs> he probably doesn't exactly. but there's something uh, he's got so uh my other answer is uh so boogie nights is essentially a happy ending no pun intended <laughs> uh-huh. yep it has a happy ending. There's a, there's a dive for Dirk Diggler and everything, but like he, you know, it's weird to say that a happy ending is rejoining a porn shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, everybody's happy. Dick. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's I'm a star, happy. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a big bright shining star. <laughs> um, but uh, so you know, it's it's essentially a happy movie. It it ends on a nice note and everything. Uh, so you get good vibes from that. Then if you watched a true story about pornography in the 70s and 80s, oh. you can watch Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonderland came out in 2003 with Val Kilmer playing yeah. That's John hard Holmes. Watch, man. It's a hard watch. It really is. Uh, and it's it's fascinating. The d- terrible ratings. But I actually thought it was a good movie. I didn't. I couldn't say I enjoyed it because there's a lot of like you know, addictive behavior, drug use, and then you know criminal stuff uh, later on. But it would kind of give you a realistic yeah. portrait of a porn porn star in, in that era after you've seen this kind of fantastical and tied up with a nice ribbon. It's uh, almost a, Boogie Nights is almost a porn fairy tale. Yeah, <laughs> it mm, really is. Mm, mm, mm. I don't know. I, I don't want to take away from your joke there, <laughs> but I do not want to live that fairy tale. <laughs> um, you could also throw in Lovelace in there too. Uh, oh yeah, Amanda Seyfried That's, one, yeah, yeah. which uh, you know you could uh, could cut three movies together into that. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, so are we done? So we'll end on porno. We'll end on porn. <laughs> That's the best. That's way what to you end. guys are going to do anyway, right? Yeah. After yeah. you're done listening. <laughs> You switch over. Uh, you got, may be watching porn while you're listening to this. It might be, might be, uh, or inspired to by listening to us. <laughs> when one can only hope. That'll do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Sincast uh, presented by CinemaSense Facebook page. Keep going to our CinemaSense Twitter. Keep going to SoundCloud. Keep going to our emails. Keep going to Reddit. Keep going to we. We're in a lot of places. Spread the word and subscribe on iTunes, please, if you have the inclination. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Sometimes uh, I think I have something to say, and then I realize I don't. Ah, mm-hmm, Sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but uh, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sherry. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, 
Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. How come those women... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if we weren't mentioning it on our podcast, if we weren't... Pun- <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't Do you talk want to me that. to read it? I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think that would be really, really, really good. Yeah. No. All right. My let's... favorite section is how to improve your word power. <laughs> that section is really, really... <laughs> Really good. <laughs> I go into a cold sweat anytime like audio issues happen because of the one where we lost it, and then the one with Modern Horrors. It's oh, just like yeah. some of the most. Fr- and then getting this to work in the studio in the first place was fucking mm-hmm. agonizing. God damn, magnets! How do they work? Well, the- <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's so many things that can go wrong in any of this. Uh, from the interface to the mixer to the mics yeah. to uh, the content is easy because we have you guys. It really is crazy how much goes into sound. By the way, that ha- that that's uh, that same goes for uh, in in movie theaters when sound is. There's so many different things that make the sound good in an auditorium Mm -hmm. you know it's it's not only your uh it's not only your amplifiers and all that but inside the amplifiers there's stuff like preamps and you know all this other nonsense that you know could go wrong and could cause the sound to be it's all the nodes and modules yeah (laughs) and then so like it goes from the amps to a preamp and to this this processor and this processor goes out to the speakers that's in the the booth yeah, man. There's a lot of shit goes on. They've got preamps in the inside in the inside amplifiers a lot of times. Really? Yeah. Now they may not have them anymore, but yeah, I I would always listen to my technician talk about cer- certain things with sound because I was always obsessed with it, and um and I you know I would wonder why if if you know if you're a technician here and you're a technician at this other theater that i go to that has way better sound than us then what's the issue yeah. here <laughs> and and so a lot of times it has to do with just the equipment that we use as opposed to the equipment that they use and yeah. it's like all the different little matrixes and bullshit that they have to go through to get the sound just right and everything and like you know um that was the thing about Hollywood 27 is like, I was always disappointed in the sound always like the center channel never seemed strong enough to me, Uh even though like, so they, so technician would be told when you run all your tests and everything, the decibels have to be between, I think 75 and 85 or something Mm -hmm. like that. And, uh, and so like they would get it, they'd get it to that 81, 82 or whatever, when they balance everything out and do the A chain and B chain and all this other nonsense that I never really understood Mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, it, that the, the standards were always too loud, just too loud. They would they would do do all the the standard 82 decibels. Oh, okay. Too, too loud. And like, so like. You, you would get a you get all your uh, sound uh, correct and everything and so play the first movie that plays in there instantly you got somebody coming out saying it's too loud 
and you have to turn it down and it's no longer the standard that they want uh-huh. anymore you see the the stuff that they come in the director the director note which you know who knows if the director's actually <laughs> it's like the director note is always like you know be sure to have this between you know 82 and 85 decibels or whatever and you're like okay and so you try to do that and man the first i mean the trailers are always super loud but like even if you were to turn it down and then turn it back up it's just it's too loud so i never understood that standard Hmm. Maybe there was something in their perfectly in their perfect environments that they could get that sound just right, mm-hmm. and they expect all the theaters across the world to have the exact same. Which uh, is crazy because you get varying size. You have even within one theater, varying size, varying equipment, varying. I mean, there's people so, in there. People obviously. in there. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that just goes into that, and it's always too loud. But then you turn it down, and then certain things about it would be too low. You know, it, and as like I said, I just always was just disappointed with our sound. Just like sometimes that center channel where all the dialogue's coming out of just doesn't resonate. They also, you know, at least our experience is mostly with Regal. They, there's a little bit of out of touchness there with the home office in terms of how different each theater is. And because I remember when I went over there for manager training for a week, they they tried telling us that the the goal for the average concession order time was like something like 12 seconds and i was like you can't even fill a goddamn coke in 12, 12 seconds. seconds like i i i went off i was like this is insanity like you, you have you've lost touch were with they how were they putting pe- were they putting people who didn't go to concessions <laughs> yeah, that exactly. they, were, <laughs> they were rolling in the average from all the people who skipped the line i mean yeah even if there's like one person that comes up and says i want a candy there's no 12 seconds no. involved there no you can't ring it up take the money and give them a candy no. In 12 seconds? You can barely do it in 60. Yeah. Anyway, they, I, I, that was one of the first times I realized how out of touch they were mm-hmm. at the home office with what they were asking us to do out oh, of the field. Seconds. So Jesus. Not, so much nonsense. Is it? I always had the theory, too, about trailers. The trailers weren't necessarily mixed louder, although I think there was a time that they did for sure make trailers louder on purpose. But then they passed some sort of law or rule or whatever that said trailers had to be had to be a normal mix or whatever um but even then they were still too loud um and i always had the feeling that the reason why trailers always seemed too loud is because they were using every speaker like they had mm. uh not only is there people talking and shouting right. there's music there's sound effects there's a, a lot of things that you don't hear in a barrage of two and a half minutes that you do in a regular movie right um and uh you know you i mean obviously there's points in movies if you're watching a transformer say or whatever there's mm-hmm. going to be you know five to ten minutes of that stuff and it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna sound super loud for all that time but trailers do that they're just constant throughout there like music and yeah. you know in the world and all overlapping that. dialogue yeah. and stuff like that so there's a lot of stuff going on with trailers that i think it's not necessarily that they are louder they've mixed them louder it's just that they have more stuff going on all at once <laughs> it could be i know commercials are louder than yeah regular. i mean you'll have like a regular reasonable volume on and like get up to get a sandwich or something like that and the commercial will be on and be like, and, see, and i wonder the reason for that is you have okay so like somebody it's a a, a a channel like nbc or whatever is going to mix their their tv shows a certain certain volume and everything and they got it everything every way they want it then they get all these ads from all these different other places mm-hmm. in the country in the world 
and everything. And then they try to plug those in and it's super loud because, yeah. you know, they don't have everything. They're, nobody's got a standard. It doesn't look like. Yeah. So I, I don't thought know. it was just to get your attention. It and, could be. Uh, it still could be that. Because even if you're annoyed, you're like, God damn it, that car salesman person. I want to go. <laughs> My wife will will mute the TV when commercials come on. Uh-huh. It drives me crazy because the, the silence is worse to me than the loud commercials. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd rather have the background noise of the commercials. But yeah, she's she's so annoyed with volume of commercials, she'll just turn them off. She'll just mute the whole thing. I don't blame her. Yep. You just ran into your what? My microphone. <laughs> I turned my head and my face just went straight. That's, that's all right. It. These new uh, mics are bigger. We're not, we're not, we have to, okay. muscle memory that's is. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's bulbous. Bulbous. Yep. <laughs> bulbous with its nose Shoot and him modules. in his bulbous ass. 